All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.10, 310. We are continuing in our list of, of initial heavy foundational concepts in this unpacking season. And so this one, this episode, what does the Bible mean when it says something is good? Mm-hmm. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the founder of Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I'm a student at Liberty University studying pastoral ministry, youth ministry, and psychology. Uh, keep them busy. Yeah, not yeah. in that order, but yep. Yeah. And, and so we have an, another guest with us this evening. It's Kaylee Landis. Kaylee had took the Know They Self uh, study a couple years ago and then has taken several of the unpacking studies since then. And, and then she did take the one on good. I know that had an impact on her, that she had some good points that she wanted, uh, that she was making as we did the study, along with the evil sin. We're going to talk more about that shortly. But anyway, so I asked her to, to join us uh, for the study. So Kaylee, welcome. Yeah. Um, thanks, Shannon. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, I think I took good. I'd taken a few of the other ones. Um, and Know Thyself, I think, was maybe the first one that was really impactful. But yeah. good is kind of a word that we throw around as Christians quite a bit. Um, and just really knowing what that means, I think, is important. So when, when you, because we had met through the Know Thyself, but afterwards, when you saw that we were unpacking good, you just figured you wanted to make sure you understood what exactly it meant. Yeah, 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 for sure. I remember I kept going back and forth on good or goodness, um, like which is the better word, but I, I just, I, I prefer good to goodness. But anyways, right. so we ended up doing a whole, st- well, we're going to explain that shortly with the good and the evil and, and all that jazz. So anyways, yes, right. we're, we're glad you're here. Um, so what I want to do is, as I put in the notes for this study, I wanted to, um, I was just kind of thinking through this entire process, and, and I love to communicate, over-communicate. And so I want to I communicate to the listener just explaining the mindset that we had as we put this order together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this is not – like, obviously, we're, we're hooked on this unpacking approach. Yeah. Uh, we find all of us uh, a lot of comfort and confidence by, by exploring, exploring Scripture in this way, really getting a greater understanding of the depth and, and breadth of, of God's plans. Um, and so, so we, we put the season together so that we can share the results, you know, of all these studies that we do, but it's not just to share the results kind of individually that they're all self-standing. And on one hand, each of these issues are self-standing. On the other hand, they all still play together. And so I wanted to take a moment, um, we're now, you know, 10 episodes in, just to reiterate or kind of explain the, the why we're doing the order that we're doing. So back in episode zero zero, the first one, we, we explained what the unpacking process was, why we believe in it, how it works, you know, all that. All that yep. um, it definitely helps us when we're reading scripture. We'll talk more about this at the, at the end as well. But when by when you go through an unpacking study and you come up to a greater understanding of what that concept is, then when you go back to scripture and you're reading the Bible and you see these key words, oh, I did an unpacking of that word, mm-hmm. and that means this. So I'm going to take that definition and and put it into the scripture, the, the the meaning just jumps off the pages. So an example of this, you know, we, we just a couple episodes ago did love. And so we talked about heart, soul, mind, and strength, that there's the affectionate element, there's that loyalty commitment element, there's the um, mindful understanding and patient element, and then yep. there's that contribution to well-being. So if you take like John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So taking that definition and plugging it in, for God had such deep affection for the world because he was so loyally committed to the world, Mm -hmm. 
patiently understanding the world and wanting to contribute to their well-being that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, right? And so, and, and again, we, and we did an unpacking on faith and belief, and you can plug that in. When you start doing that and you start reading the scripture, you're like, wow, right? there's so much more to it. Yeah, it's just a whole new light. Yeah, and so and so, the, and this will change your values and priorities and and, and beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why we're, we're doing the unpacking study. Then we then we did the two episodes on the scripture itself, and so we we did you know what what exactly is the Bible? How is it formed? What is it basically about? Um, you know, painting that picture. And then we did an episode on how one can study the Bible her- hermeneutically and contextually, and the love Larry Larry Crabb's love letter approach, the unpacking approach, mm-hmm. all that. So and and kind of quick side note on that. To me, there's there's four main pillars to the faith and, and, and become, being a Christian. There's scripture. The scriptures are the parameters that kind of guide us along. Sure. There's prayer, which is more, and which we're going to do an unpacking here in a couple episodes on that. So you always hear about the Bible and prayer. Community to me becomes a, a third one that you should be doing it with other people. And there's obviously still the self or the will pillar, which is you making your decisions and conclusions, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So to me, th- those are four of the big, of the big pillars. And so we're going to, we're going to touch on all of them at some point. But anyway, so but but because we're unpacking scripture, we spent two episodes on that. So then we moved into an episode uh, three point zero three, with the first unpacking concept, and we chose hope. And so First Corinthians thirteen talks about these three remain: faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so so these three remain, or these three abide, or these three continue. Uh, the Greek is the idea that these are the three that are constantly ongoing. And, and so I knew I wanted to start with faith, hope, and love. And so we chose hope first. It's that holding on to positive expectations, um, taking refuge in the future good things that God is bringing about. And I wanted to do it first because, to me, we talked about this before, it just kind of drives everything. Yeah, yeah. So then, And then we did a, a spinoff of that in, in the next episode on heaven, which is like the great fulfillment of, of all our hopes. And so what is heaven and what's going to be, what's going to be like, et cetera. Um, so we did hope, and then we moved to faith. And so then we did, a two, we did an episode on faith an episode on maturity and so like you know faith is that belief plus trust it's the initial internal acknowledgement of who God is and then the active reliance on him and so we did a spinoff with the maturity which is like deepening the trust Mm -hmm. and so this goes back to that wheelbarrow analogy well I wouldn't get all that just go back and listen to the episodes Um, but anyways but but, but what does it mean what is faith how does it work what does it mean to place your faith in God what does it result in you know faith in Christ Um, and then love and so it seems like if if you're really hoping in the good that God is bringing about then you're going to place your faith in him and there's the initial faith and there's the ongoing deepening faith Mm -hmm. and then the Bible would say that that all all of that needs to play out, namely in love, that, that it's the point of all instruction of the Bible uh, is that you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and you love one another. So we did the whole episode on love. Um, then we did one on glory. There's sometimes there's there's um, um, competition when there shouldn't be. Yeah. Between, almost tension. Almost tension between love and glory. Like people will say the, the most important thing is that we glorify God. And so I push back a little bit on that. The, the, God says the most important thing is to love him and love your neighbor as yourself. And so and so we did an episode on what is glory? What does it mean that God has glory? What does it mean to share in that glory? What And then what, and then based on that, what is the definition of to glorify? Mm-hmm. So we talk about to glorify God. What does that mean? How does that play in with love, right? Um, so we had, we had the spinoff there. So you had 
those initial three of faith, hope, and love with a couple spinoffs from them, yep. right? And so those, and I wanted to do to those three uh, the start with and the and the, the spinoffs as, as that foundation, and then there was another half of the foundation, which is now this next part of the of the season three that we're going to go into. And so this started with the last episode on interdeterminism, mm-hmm. which I'm going to have you in a moment here recap, yep. Zach. Yep. But so just so you listener knows, like there's an order to all of this mm-hmm. of why we're doing this that we did it interdeterminism. And so tonight the three of us are going to talk about good, and then the next episode is going to be evil and sin. I, I, we group those together, and you'll, and you'll see why. And so good and evil become two core core concepts, and then from evil spins off suffering. So there's a lot of evil and wrong in the world, a lot of sin. There's also a lot of suffering in the world, um, and then we're and then from suffering we're going to get into um, um, prayer. Uh, was that one of those pillars again? And then we're going to get into justice and righteousness, which are equivalent scripturally. Yeah. Anyways, so the, the, these next six, I got my hands up here as we're talking, <laughs> counting down. But these next six are grouped together um, because all of them are trying to help us unpack that big question of why does an all powerful, all knowing, all loving, mm-hmm. all good God allow so much evil and suffering? And it's a huge question that all of us ask. Yeah. And I have all my life found pat, really unsatisfactory answers to that question. And so it was a year ago that we did these studies. We, we spent four weeks on good, and then and then we spent four weeks on evil, which turned into eight weeks because there was so much to cover, 3,400 verses or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. We spent eight weeks on evil, and we spent another four weeks on suffering. So we spent 16 weeks on good and evil and suffering. And, and then the interdeterminism concept came up with this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, then over the summer we did justice and righteousness, and then we just did prayer, um, which is going to be like the application of all this. But all that, all those tie in together. All those get grouped together. That I don't want to give a pat answer to why an all good, all powerful God allows so much evil and sin. I wanted to be able to break down each of the components. Yeah. So that we can then discuss it. So we spent a whole episode on interdeterminism and how God, how does God interact with with life in the world? Now we're going to spend a whole episode on what, when we talk about good and evil. What 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 do we actually mean by good? What does the Bible mean by good? Mm-hmm. And then we'll spend an episode in an evil. What does the Bible mean when it talks about evil and sin? And then suffering becomes its own thing. So we're going to do a whole episode on on what exactly is suffering. Why is it? Why does it happen? What should we do about it? Um, and all of those are, are really going to help explain um, why a good God allows evil. So then with that concept in mind, and this is going to go very much back to that we're in a prologue and the real story's coming later, et cetera. But we'll, we'll, we'll be able to discuss that a bit and chew on that a bit. And and, and I'll, I'll say now, because this will all come out in the evil and sin episodes. You're definitely going to want to listen to those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have found what we feel it fits within biblical parameters. It's not a hundred percent conclusive. This is the answer. It's such a complex, sure, mysterious yeah. thing, but we found, um, uh, uh, this complex answer that to me best explains why there is evil and suffering in this world. And so we're doing all that. And then, and then it was important that we brought prayer in because now knowing that it's going to change the way you pray. Um, and then also justice still justice is that making of things right, um, trying to temper and limit the evil and suffering um, or to respond well to it. So all those group together. So so with this last episode of interdeterminism, now moving into this episode, just keep in mind that the reason why we're doing this is we're trying to build a case 
to answer that question of, of why God allows the evil and suffering. And, and to me, it's very encouraging. Um, so, so, yeah. so that's why we're going through all of this in uh, this group, this set um, for you. And because and, I feel like someone might be asking, well, why not just have an episode and answer the question of why isn't there, why is there suffering in the world? Why would an all-powerful, everything you just said, why not just have an episode on that? And I think that that really helps illustrate the complexity of the issue and why we can't just have an episode on answering that one question. Right. Because it matters how you view uh, determinism and to what extent God determines things. It matters what you think a biblical definition of good is, what evil is, what sin is, why is there suffering? Because all of those things are really foundational to the Christian walk, but also to answering some of those really big questions that are completely legitimate that people have. And so having just the foundation of faith, hope, and love, um, because those are just the pillars of the faith, and then also some of these other ideas with evil and sin and good and all those things, I, I think that that really helps. Hopefully what we're explaining really helps you see why that's happening, and so it helps answer some of those questions. Yeah, I, I remember, um, I don't remember if it was during the eight weeks of the evil sin study or if it was during the suffering study. I think it was the evil sin. But Kayla, you had made a comment. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but you had said something to the effect of, you know, Shannon, when you first started presenting this stuff to me way back in the beginning, I thought it was heresy or I, I, <laughs> I didn't think this was scripture. I, I haven't taught this before. But now working through, you know, four, eight, 12, 16 weeks of the of just going through all of this scripture, it's starting to make more sense sense. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny, but I found that encouraging yeah. that, that we're on the right path. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what this section is going to be on. And then, and then once we have that done, now we have the faith, hope, love, and the spinoffs from that. And we have this good and evil and all the spinoffs from that. Now we're free to go look at the plethora of mm-hmm. other uh, topics biblically. So we're going to, we're going to do, there's a, I have a whole, a whole list here of ones that we're going to do, but, but we're going to do uh, grace and mercy and patience humility, peace, joy, all the fruit of the spirit, yeah. uh, fear. That was a great one. That was a great study. Uh, knowledge and wisdom, anger, correction. It's going to keep going. So again, this, this season is going to be really, really long, but I, but I felt like if we can, if we can discuss faith, hope, and love with, along with the glory and maturity in heaven, and then we can discuss the good and evil along with the suffering and prayer yeah. and, and justice that then really gives us that solid foundation that we can then explore, you know, all of these. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just wanted to explain all of that so that the listener kind of understands where we're coming from. So having said that, Zach, why don't you give us a, a real quick recap of the last episode on interdeterminism? Yeah. And so inter- this was one of our longest episodes that we've recorded. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot that could be said, and I'm not going to say everything that we said in three hours because that would be a very long podcast for this one. <laughs> right. uh, and that's the point of a summary. So, Because you can get like a one-hour summary of the three-hour podcast yeah. if you wanted to. <laughs> and so I'm not going to do that. Um, basically, one of the main ideas that we talked about that this might uh, encourage you to go back and listen to it is we, did, we figured out that it's not actually a sovereignty versus free will issue. The issue of determinism that we see in church and have all these discussions, it's not the difference between sovereignty and free will. Mm-hmm. It's really just a spectrum of how does God, how often does God hard determine things? Mm-hmm. So how often does God uh, make things happen the way that he wants them to happen? That so we can't yeah, change. So that you or, yeah. can't do anything about how often does that actually happen? And that's really where this comes in, where spectrum comes into that and figuring out how often that happens. Because a lot of times, 
we've both heard the comment individually that, well, I just believe in God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And so I don't hold to whatever, Man's free will, yeah, yeah. whatever that is. And we define sovereignty as God's authority and his power. Mm-hmm. And so all believers, if you're, yeah, I mean, all believers hold to God's sovereignty. That it, he has the ultimate authority yep. and he has all the, and power, he has to the do. power to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's how he uses the power that's actually the debate. And so just clearing that up, it was really eye-opening for both of us, just yeah. seeing that it's not if it's sovereignty or free will, it's both, but it's the spectrum of how often he actually uses hard determinism. Yeah. So that that's what we discussed for a good solid three hours. Three hours. So and, and of course, you and I have talked about this for a year and a half, two years now. And and then, and we wrote out the outline, you know, mm-hmm. for the episode. And I kind of felt like not knowing that this was going to happen, the, the discussion took a life of its own. It did. And yeah. and we still stuck with the outline, but but I don't know how however it played out. When I drove home that night, I was like super encouraged. I'm like mm-hmm. that was actually like really helpful. Yeah. Um. You know, when, when you're able to put words to your thoughts and feelings and such, it can mm-hmm. go a long way. And so being able to, to map out, okay, so most of us all fit in that interdeterministic camp. Yeah. That it's a mix of divine hard determinism, divine soft determinism, human hard and soft, angelic hard and soft. You know, and all it's a mix of all that. Mm-hmm. The debate is what is the breakdown of those percentages. Yeah. And and almost that we shouldn't even have that debate because God probably is all over the spectrum there, right? Depending on the person and the season. Mm-hmm. It was just really helpful for me. Yeah. And it was just really interesting. Like you just had to put it into words mm-hmm. because too often, I mean, I've had the, this discussion through college and it's uh, turns into some sort of us versus them. Uh, it's either my way or your way. And right. we use all this absolute language when really we agree on like 95% of things mm-hmm. for the most part. So it's some of the semantics or nuances. And so it's uh, not having the same vocabulary that you're using is why a lot of that continues to be discussed. And so realizing that you're actually more on the same page with the other side, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. than you really think you are, uh, just allows you to see the discussion in such a different way, which when I also, I had just the same feeling when I left the studio, I was just like, this makes so much more sense. Right. So mentioning the the definitions is, is a good segue going to the study now because so we're going to do good and good is a word in English that means a bunch of different things. For example, it can mean average or okay, right? It's good, not great. Mm-hmm. We, found, we found out in the study, the Bible doesn't use good in that way. That when it, when, when it mentions good, it's not talking about the average or okay, it's talking about other things. So so we're going to get into that, but but I'll ask um, both of you a question because each of you guys have taken several unpacking studies. The concepts themselves aside for the moment, can you make a comment on what you've learned about the importance of definitions when it comes to um, wordings and then discussing those? Because obviously each of the unpacking studies, we keep reiterating it's really important how you define this, right? So what's something – I'm putting you guys on the spot. We didn't plan this. Um, what's something that's that's kind of clicked for you as far as vocabulary and definitions and meaning go when it comes with unpacking? It's really just changed the way I discuss things with people uh, because I was having a conversation with someone and he he asked this question uh, and it was actually about the determinism, the determinism issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asked that and I'm just like, okay, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? Like, how are you using these words? And actually going through that before we started talking about anything, oh, that's great. just getting on the same page. And so then just really simplifying a lot of different things mm-hmm. by just being on the same page and... Because then you can avoid the 
talking past each other for an right. hour to right. realize that you are actually on the same page. Mm-hmm. And so just really realizing that words do have value and they have meanings and figuring out what you think a word means and figuring out what another person thinks a word means and then seeing how those agree or disagree mm-hmm. and line up. And what does the Bible mean? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that word. Right. that's the whole point of the unpacking approach right. is to figure out how does the Bible actually define these. But realizing that you have a definition of that word going in and you have a definition of words that affect the definition of that word going in. Yeah. And so just like it, it, it complicates a lot of different things, but it also makes it much easier to actually discuss them. Is something that I found the uh, the prayer study that, that we just finished up. You guys weren't there. One of the weeks we got into the discussion of what's the difference between the soul, the spirit, the mind, the heart, and the body, and 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 we're like, okay, first of all, what would we mean by each of these words? So we pulled the whiteboard out, right? We spent like forty five minutes of the of the that week yeah. just trying to map out. Because what happened was we all were agreeing that there was the same entities, but we were labeling them different names. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of cool getting laid that out. But it was, so, Kay- Kaylee, what are your thoughts on, on as far as the wording and definitions and such go? Yeah, so I think I think something like the biggest thing that comes to mind would be like, okay, we are primarily citizens of heaven. And so thinking about that mm. and letting – so we talk about lenses. You talk about lenses a lot. Um, and so, yeah, wearing the lenses of, of heaven, wearing the lenses, looking at life through – uh, the way God designed things to be. And so, we, you know, we go through life, we're doing our own thing. Whenever we become a Christian or um, if we become a Christian early in life, either way, we're still living in a heavily sin-influenced world. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, sin is telling us the narrative about life. Oh, yeah. And so for us to like actually look in Scripture and let Scripture define our narrative for what we're thinking. Yeah, so for instance, uh, a lot of people don't have a great dad. And the biggest thing that we see, you know, God's most favorite name is Abba. Mm -hmm. And so, like, let's go back in Scripture and see, like, okay, who is who is God as Abba? Mm -hmm. And then, like, let's let's put that lens on and then look at the world. Let's not put on the world's lens and look at God. Yeah, man, it's huge. Actually, I heard once somebody say, don't try to interpret Scripture. Let let Scripture interpret you. Right. And it kind of it feels it plays into just what you were saying. I think Abba is a great example. I think another great example is the word kind. Yeah. So in the English, it means like to be nice to or polite. But biblically, it means to be useful. Right. And so if we are citizens of heaven, we need to follow the narrative that God's trying to tell. Right. And we need to go by the definitions that God is using. Right. So one of the phrases that we always say here is let the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint. Right. And so, yeah. And so getting into these unpacking studies helps us get to the definitions and the narrative, which I think for a non-believer who hasn't drank the Jesus Kool-Aid, a lot of times when they start (laughs) hearing all this stuff, they're like, wow, that's actually really encouraging. Yeah. And then Christians, you know, I have some Christians that, that are traditionalist and they stick with the tradition. They, they stick with the way they've been taught with an, like an American definition of some of the right. concepts and they don't like and they push back on some of what we teach. Right. But then I get a lot of people who go who come to re- through rekindling things that are like, yes, see, I've always thought that. Right. Um, but now getting to hear how it actually paints a picture, you know, it's really helpful. Right. So, OK, cool. So with that. Let's move into good. And so how does the Bible define good? Uh, and, and it's funny, too, as, as we go through each of these studies, even like the love study, you know, we, we'd say things like, oh, I love that. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm using that word correctly. You know, and so you start catching yourself yeah. on that. So as always, as we go through the unpacking study, there's four main questions that we're trying to answer. What is the definition of this concept biblically? How would the Bible define it? 
Second question, how does it work? What are the nuances? What does it look like under the hood? What are all the details, et cetera? Third question is, if I'm pursuing and embracing this concept, what are the benefits or results or motivation that's going to come from that? Why should I pay attention to this and live it out? And then the fourth question is the application question. Practically, what's my big takeaway from this? And is there is there a certain application or change I want to make in my life based on this, right? So let's, let's get into that. So first uh, up is to go through the terminology uh, and, and the wordings and the, and, the, and and trying to come up to with this definition of what is the what is good according to scripture so the you know the first step that I always take um, when I'm putting together these studies is what are all the different what's the family of words that I need to look up in the scripture yeah. and I, we use the NASB and I, I use eSword and I use um, logos um, some great you know, it's great softwares what are the words that I need to look up so I looked up good and goodness um, it's mentioned a total of 677 times in, in the NASB. Uh, and then I looked up better and best. Uh, as that was mentioned 158 times. Almost always it's the same word as the word for good. Just based on the context, you can tell it's a comparative statement. Mm-hmm. And so they use it as, as better or best. By the way, I think best shows up only like once or twice. It's almost all better in, in, of those 158. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and sometimes, in, in a few cases, it could refer to a degree such as more desirable or more in number or whatever. Um, then I looked up well, which is mentioned 307 times. Um, now, this this had a, a bunch of different meanings because it could be a literal well where you, where you pull water up, or it could be that somebody was well in a physical, non-sick kind of way. Mm-hmm. So that one became a little more difficult to try to parse out because it was used a, a, a bunch of different ways. Um, as I was going through the study, some of the it, it came out that some of these meanings mean if something has profit or is profitable. <coughs> Excuse me or is uh, is a benefit to it or beneficial or benefactor or advantage. And so I looked up all those words and they come up 88 times uh, in the scripture. And then then also you see this idea of being prosperous or having prosperity or prospering. So I looked up those words. um, That was 85 times. In the general, it means to to succeed or thrive. But sometimes in scripture, it's both something God does, a good thing, or that man does. And so that one, we're going to touch on this a little bit later, can be a little bit of a different prosperity can be a little bit different issue than good but at least when i was initially studying it i, I brought those in mm-hmm. uh, and then excellent which is only mentioned 15 times and there's there's things like you know if someone said do you true or false the word excellent in the nasb the new american standard bible is mentioned 15 times i would say false i would say it's a lot more than that so i was kind of surprised by it yeah um and then also favor and favorable and pleasing delight and enjoyable so a note on favor and favorable that actually plays into grace so we'll discuss that a lot more when the, when the grace study comes out. And then the pleasing, delightful, enjoyable is going to come up very much in the good study. It also comes up in the love study. It could also be its own study itself. So that's kind of overlapping in, in a bunch of different areas. Um, and so 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 all those combined it came out to around 923 mentions. Uh, and so th- those are the words that we looked up in the study. Okay. Having said that then we can move into the, the, the main Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek words that are used in the original writings to describe this concept of good. And so we're going to go through these and, and list out the, the main ones, the, the word itself and then the meaning. And as always, we're, we're not experts in the pronunciation of these, so <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a lot of a guesswork for us. So when it comes to good uh, in the Old Testament, one of the major words is tob or toba, uh, and it means to be good or well 
well. It's actually mentioned 619 times, and and it seems that there were two major concepts within that. Um, pleasant, so looking up all the definitions in the biblical dictionaries and such, pleasant, pleasing, agreeable, beautiful, enjoyable. There was also this theme of beneficial, favorable, valuable, prosperous, or bountiful for welfare. Um, and so that's, that's one of the main ones. And then the, the noun of that, because that's an adjective, the tub or tuba uh, means good things or goodness or prosperity or benefit or welfare. Um, and there's yatab, um, which means to be good or well or pleasing, and that's mentioned 119 times. And then there's also rotash, uh, which is to be pleased with, acceptable, favorable, goodwill, favor, acceptance, and that's 113 times. And then shalim is mentioned 111 times, uh, and it means to be to be complete or sound, to make full restitution. That actually goes with the word shalom, which itself is usually translated peace, so that, that will come up in the peace study. Mm-hmm. But that idea is something that's complete or sound or prosperous, well, healthy, welfare, safe, quiet, tranquil, happy, friendly. Um, so like, for example, it is well with my soul. I'm in a good place or a good state of mind that's 240 times but that that will come up more in the uh, in the peace study mm-hmm. there's yashar um, which would be to be smooth straight right agreeable good and that's mentioned 29 times and just real quick right there so you know as we're going through these studies we see the toba which means something pleasing or beneficial and then we saw this yashar which is something smooth or straight mm-hmm. and like well what is Normally, what does smooth and straight have to do with pleasing and beneficial? So this becomes a mystery that we want to explore, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also have basar, which is to bear good news or tidings, and that's 24 times in the Hebrew. And then yaal is to gain profit or benefit or to avail, 23 times. Yathron, which means advantage or gain or profit. It's mentioned 10 times. Chamada, which is desirable, precious, uh, or the idea of best, and that's nine times. Yeah. So yeah. So best is is mentioned. Oh, if you see the word best in the Nasby, it's probably the chamuda or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then then there's an Arama- uh, Aramaic word shapar, which means to be beautiful, fair, acceptable, or pleasing. That's mentioned three times. Um, and so then we can move into the Greek. Uh, so there's katos or katos, mm-hmm. which would be good, beautiful, precious. Above, approve of, excellence, commendable, right. And that's mentioned 137 times. And then, so there's an adverb to katos, which is kalos. Mm-hmm. And that would be beautifully, excellently, finely, and rightly. Mm-hmm. And then there's agathos and agathopia, which is the noun and verb of those words, which is good, beneficial, useful, salutatory, Pleasant, agreeable, excellent, upright, uh, also to do something good and that which profits another, and that's used 119 times. And then there's a, a prefix, U, uh, E, U, which is actually 437 times it's used in the, in the New Testament. It's a prefix for a whole plethora of, of different words. Some of the concepts that come out from this is uh, it's good, the U means good or well done. And so when you combine it as a prefix to another word, uh, it can mean something pleasing or approved of, like having a good name or reputation. It can mean being useful or tenderhearted or benefiting others like philanthropist or benefactor. It can mean bearing good tidings or sharing good news. It's where you get the word evangelize. It's to be glad about, thankful for, to speak well of or praise, which is where we get uh, eulogy. 
excuse me, it can also mean to be pious or devout, godly, reverent, or cautious. Some of the, the different meanings there. There's carpos, which means fruit, um, literal, or benefit, um, and that's 65 times. There's opelos and opelo, which is to help, benefit, uh, do good to, profit, create advantage, uh, that idea of being useful and profitable, and that's 22 times. And then Christotes, which actually was a word we mentioned in the love study, because it's usually translated kind or kindness, um, it, it shows up in this good study, and it can be translated goodness, excellent, uprightness, or the kindness, which, like we said before, means means usefulness. I think it was 19 times. There's kratitos, there's kratitin. Um, and that means better, greater, stronger, noblest, most excellent. And that's mentioned 19 times. There's also some pharaoh, which is to bring together for the common good, to be profitable, beneficial, advantageous. And that's 17 times. And then uh, Huggies. <laughs> <laughs> Huggies, huge, hugest. Um, it's 12 times. And it means sound or whole or healthy. Then there was also the word so-so, which means usually translated saved or salvation. It came up a little bit. It's used 108 times in the New Testament, mostly as a salvation thing, which is going to be its own unpacking. But a couple of times it can overlap with this idea of good. Um, so itself, it means to save or keep sound or keep safe, to rescue from danger or, dis- or, or destruction, to preserve or heal or make whole. But it'll overlap a little bit with this good study. So, so looking at those words, we saw um, benefit profit advantage come up a whole lot Mm -hmm. we saw the pleasing and beautiful come up quite a bit Uh, we also saw that straight or smooth or upright also come up so those are some of the themes that we started observing as as we were going through just the original original languages so then as always we look up we we use the webster and farlex dictionaries and we look up these words um, to see if we can get more understanding of you know what what is the english definition you know uh, of these concepts Um, and and what we do is so we when we, we look up the hebrew and aramaic and greek words and we see in the bible dictionaries what those definitions are and then we look up each of those words or most of those words in those definitions mm-hmm. to make sure we understand what's going on. And so when you look up, as I said before, good means a bunch of different things in the, in the English language. Um, some of the definitions that you're going to find for good is something agreeable, pleasant, appealing, or desirable. It can also mean something that's benevolent or profitable or advantageous or beneficial. So you can see this is these were actually, and this happens more often than not, it lines up with the patterns that we were seeing in yeah. the original languages. Um, it can mean something suitable or satisfactory of high better than average but not excellent quality so this this is be kind of that it's it's average or better than average but not fantastic that concept is used in the english it won't be used biblically Hmm. Um, and then also um, something that is true or right or upright or virtuous or morally excellent which again fit the pattern that we were seeing in the languages. And so one of the questions I have in my notes here is, does the Bible use good and true and right and moral interchangeably? Now, I put here, initially, I believe not. Now that we've gone through the study, I actually would say, yeah, there is some overlap and some interchangeability there. Um, now, we, we, we're we going to be doing an unpacking on right and, and righteousness and rightness, which goes with justice. And so we'll see how, all, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit later, but we'll see how all that, all that plays out. Um, and then, and then, 
looking up better and best and excellent, it's like a superior degree of good in that average sense of the word good, something that's more agreeable or appealing or of highest quality. But it would seem that, again, the Bible, when it talks about good, it's not assuming that middling area. It's actually mm-hmm. assuming this, this more extreme area. Mm-hmm. So then there's well, not, not the thing we drink out of, right. um, but there's pleasing um, there's advantageous. And as we were going through this and talking about kind of like the podcast, um, I like was like, oh, advantageous. Like, what what is that? And I'm not exactly <coughs> sure I can give words to what that means. So I looked it up and it says involving or creating favorable circumstances that increase the chances of success or effectiveness. And I was mm. like, whoa, that's cool. So to read that again. Yeah. So involving or creating favorable circumstances that increase the chances of success or effectiveness. Like, whoa, what if when we think like God is good, like that's the God that we see, like that shapes our view of God. Yeah. So we say God is good. We're not saying he's okay. Yeah. We're saying that he's trying to create favorable situations that are effective. He's trying to help us succeed Mm -hmm. at life, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, now, what does it mean for him for us to succeed? That becomes another whole question. But but this shows you where we're starting to reform our understanding, letting the Bible paint the picture it wants to paint, and it's painting a pretty cool picture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got pleasing, advantageous, um, healed, not ailing, as it, like, relates to physical health, Um, right or proper, and this is kind of the idea that Shannon was talking about earlier with shalom, um, being in a safe or prosperous state. Um, but this isn't necessarily a synonym that we find in the Bible. Right. But there is an overlap between good and right and well. Mm-hmm. And that led to some other words like pleasing and desirable, which means uh, something that brings satisfaction, pleasure, delight, or joy. Uh, it can also be something wished for or longed for. Uh, avail is to be useful or helpful to, and then uh, just beneficial, advantageous, profitable, and helpful are some other words that we looked up, and those basically mean something that promotes or enhances well-being. You know, avail is one of those words that, that I hear a lot, but I don't actually ever use in my own everyday <laughs> speak, so it's, you learn a lot. <laughs> right? yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't know it meant that. Um, by the way, most languages, so I used to teach English as a second language a number of years ago. Most languages have around 250,000 words in their vocabulary. English has over 500,000, over double. And so English becomes one of the more difficult languages to learn, actually, because of all the, the sheer volume of vocabulary uh, and slang. And then also um, exceptions to the rule, I before yeah. E, except after C, you know, that kind of thing. That's a little side note. Exceptions to the rule and then all the weird things that we do with English, with like driving on a parkway and parking a driveway right. and like all of those. <laughs> you can find many things on the internet listing yeah, all some the cool things ones. wrong with English. Yeah. Three of the hardest ones I've heard are English, Mandarin, and Arabic. So, um, anyways, so going through all of that, as we did the study, we started seeing the patterns. We kept seeing this theme of good can mean something pleasing or beautiful or appealing. Good can mean something that's beneficial or advantageous or helpful or profitable. Uh, A good can mean something that is right or straight or proper or moral. Um, And so we we, we saw those three keep coming up in definitions. We also felt like... Just as we talked through in, during the study, it seems there's this idea of worth. Like if we say there's something good, like it's a um, uh, well, there's a bunch of examples you can give to that. But it, it's th- that the thing has value or worth to it. And then, and we didn't necessarily see that come directly out of the definitions. But then mm-hmm. we saw it in one of the very first references in Genesis, where it says the gold in Havilah is good. 
Is it pleasing? I mean, maybe it could mean that. Is it beneficial? Maybe it could mean that. Is it moral? No, probably wouldn't mean that. But it seems that the context is there was a lot of worth to that gold. So the, the gold was good. There it had a lot of value to it, which then, of course, creates the benefit. So we yeah. wondered if there was a fourth part of good, which is of worth or value, which we're going to find out. Turns out there is as we went through the discussion in the scripture and such. So, so keeping all that in mind, and take a quick little side note here. Um, it'd be interesting. I don't know, 40 years from now, you know, when we finish all these podcasts to count how many times we use the word side note. I know that I, <laughs> it I use really it a lot. But yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, so there, I took a philosophy class in seminary and it was one of my favorite classes. I, I'd always thought philosophy was just like a bunch of opinions of people. It's like when I was an undergrad, I'm like, why would I take philosophy? It's just people like, oh, I believe this, you know. Um, but then when I took the class, I found out that it's actually a very meticulous approach. If A, then B, trying to mm-hmm. argue, do we know for A is for sure? And I I loved it. I was so blown away by the, by the process of all of it. Anyway, so one of the books that I read uh, was The Definition of Good by A.C. Ewing. And on page 113, he presents this whole concept that, that, that I really, it really spoke with me. And I'm going to take, I'm going to take his concept and I'm going to pull it into this good study. So he talked about G1s and G2s. And so he's somewhat good. And he said a G1 is something that is found pleasant or that satisfies one's desires. And a G2 is something that is found beneficial or contributes to well-being. So I had had taken that class before. Mm -hmm. And then when we did the good study, I'm like, oh, look at this. It's all lining up. That he's also identifying two of these three or four concepts. So we end up using the terms G1 and G2 a lot. And so for the rest of this episode, you might hear us say a G1 or a G2. Hopefully we'll clarify what we mean as we say it. But just so you know here, when we say a G1, we're referring to a good thing that is found pleasant or satisfies one's desires. And when we say a G2, it's something that is found beneficial or contributes to one's well-being. So so we took that and ran with it. So then we added G0, which would be that something has some sort of inherent worth or value. And then a G3 would be something straight within God's parameters or moral. So we said, all right, let, let's let's go with this and see if Scripture would back it up, which it does. And so I'm kind of jumping ahead here for a little bit. But to get this idea of the definition of, of good is there's four different definitions. There's the, uh, there's the G0, G1, G2, and G3. So it's something that has worth or value, something that is uh, pleasing or beautiful or delightful or satisfies a desire. It's something that's beneficial or advantageous to well-being um, or it's moral or or straight, or right, or fits within God's parameters. So we see that there is somewhat of a, of a synonym between good and right. Yeah. Not one-to-one, but they, but they definitely they definitely overlap. Uh, and so it's important to realize that a, a G2 is of more value than a G1, meaning that it's more important that something is beneficial or contributes to well-being than something being pleasing. Mm-hmm. They're both good, but it seems there's a little bit more weight to the G2. So G.R. Evans in, in his book, uh, Augustine or Augustine on Evil, on page 164, he talks about how G2s contribute, contribute to the perfection of the soul. And then uh, Chisholm was an, editor, uh, was an author that, that Marilyn and Robert Adams are editors of a book called The Problem of Evil. But on page 55, they quote Chisholm, and he goes on to explain that beyond 
mere pleasure and happiness lies the realm of knowledge and the exercise of virtues, such as courage, temperance, wisdom, and justice. Hick also elaborates on this. This is also in The Problem of Evil. Um, they quote Adams quotes him on page 171. And I'm just going to give this quote because it helps explain all this. Mm-hmm. We, we do not desire for our children unalloyed pleasure at the expense of their growth in such even greater values as moral integrity and selfishness, compassion, courage, humor, reverence for the truth, and perhaps all above all the capacity for love. We do not act on the premise that pleasure is the supreme end of life. And if the development of those other values sometimes clash, clashes with the provision of pleasure, then we are willing to have our children miss a certain amount of this, the pleasure, rather than fail to come to possess the finer and more precious qualities that are possible to the human personality. And so the the idea here is if we have the G0, G1, G2, and G3, that if something is good, it's kind of understood and unspoken that it has some sort of value or worth. Mm -hmm. And then the G1 means it's also pleasing. A G2 means it's actually beneficial. And and you may have something that's all three of those. You may have something that's just one of those, right, or two of those. Mm -hmm. And it seems that biblically, if if one's actually beginning to embrace more and more of those three, especially the beneficial part, then it becomes actually something that's moral or, or right, according to God's plans, the G3. But the point of all that is, is I think we would have said at the beginning of the study that the moral part of good, that if something is good, it's moral, right. that's the most important thing. And we actually were willing to challenge ourselves on that and actually pull it back to the G2, the beneficial, right. that it seems the whole concept revolves around this idea of if something is good, it's beneficial. It may be pleasing. Mm-hmm. And of course, it'll have worth if it's beneficial. And if it's beneficial, then it's actually moral and right, and, and right to his plans. But I presented to you guys when we did the study, I presented a theory of let, let's go with beneficial being the core component here as we read the rest of scripture. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you, you can look at it as so we're there's many different parts to us as humans. We can all agree we're pretty complex people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it runs the whole spectrum, the G0 all the way up to the G3 with um, the different like areas or maybe layers of who we are as humans. And so we have the spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual and social Um good in each one of those areas and so when we have the spiritual we're talking about okay our relationship with god our purpose our significance our identity um the character our eternal future Um, but that's all our spiritual well-being right okay yeah and then we have the physical so we have our health our strength endurance our like our physical bodies there's good that happens to us or we can do others good uh through the physical things um emotional we have courage and joy intellectual we have perspective um, knowledge processing again like bringing back that idea of we are primarily um, citizens of heaven and so we process through heaven's lens um, understanding and wisdom and then social so there's community um, intimacy between uh, the body Mm -hmm. um, the body meaning the church Mm -hmm. our brothers and sisters bonding trusting mutual support um, and being having fun yeah so as always, we're seeing that it's a fairly complex topic. Mm-hmm. Typically, all these unpacking studies, it was much more complex than we realized. But there's always structure to it. I think right. you guys have noticed that. So what we're seeing is is it seems that these like kind of four categories or four types of what good might mean, with the main one being that G2, the beneficial. Right. But even within beneficial, everything you were just saying, Kaylee, that, that there's spiritual benefit and there's emotional benefit, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So then I remember when we had the discussion, this starts to open up some possibilities of – 
um, because inversely, I'm kind of jumping ahead and we're going to repeat this again. But inversely, our theory was that so if something is e- if good is something of worth or pleasing or beneficial or moral, mm-hmm. maybe evil is the inverse of that. Right. So an E0, E1, E2, E3 was the theory yeah. that something good, evil can mean worthless or it could mean not pleasing. Right. Or it could mean detrimental. Right. Or it could mean immoral. Right. And to go ahead and spoiler alert here, <laughs> when we did the evil study, it got backed up. Right. Yeah. And it, it was even interesting to see because, you know, we did. So I did both of them. We did the good and then we jumped right into evil. I think we maybe had Christmas in between there or mm-hmm. something. So we had a little bit of a break. But it was even cool to see, like, just defining um, evil even more so how it reflected good and how beautiful good was. Oh, yeah. The the, the evil sin study is going to the, the episode is going to be. It's gonna be our longest one ever, guaranteed. Right. Uh, I remember Chelsea was in the study, and and as we went through the evil and sin, she actually found herself. She, I'm so encouraged right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of surprisingly so. Right. So to give you to give you guys an idea of how all this plays out, um, with given these labels, you could have something be a G1, which is pleasing, and also an E2, which is detrimental. So an example of that would be crack cocaine or ecstasy. Right, some kind of drug. It's very pleasing. Uh, it satisfies certain mm-hmm. desires one has. You know, so I, I've, I've, again, part of my story. I've done ecstasy before. I've never, never done crack, um, but I have done ecstasy. And you're on a high. You're on this emotional and, and and mental high. So it's very very pleasing. But it's also um, so it's like it's like emotionally or mentally pleasing physically it's detrimental where maybe in the short run there's the euphoria that comes but the next day you always get super depressed mm-hmm. so it's actually an emotional detriment and then physically um one of the reasons why i stopped was somebody showed me a uh, brain scans of of how ecstasy affects the brain and its thinking and it scared the crap out of me mm-hmm. uh, so it was one of the that one in the depression i just decided okay you know it's time for me to move on from this mm-hmm. um so you can see an example of something being emotionally or physically physically pleasing, but at the same time, emotionally or physically detrimental. Then you can see the flip where something is a G2, it's beneficial to well-being, but it's an E1, it's displeasing. So a shot of penicillin, as that needle pierces your skin, it hurts, right? Because it's puncturing. It's, it's putting a hole in your skin, which is not intended. So it's displeasing. You don't like having the needle in your going through your skin like that, mm-hmm. but it's beneficial to your health um, because... It's going to help your body get stronger to resist disease or whatever. So one of the things I remember as we were discussing all this, all this starts to make sense. And this will help play into this idea of why a good guy allows evil is it's it's complex. right? And, and the Job study talked about this, yeah. that when we talk about because there's the verse that says God, uh, all things he allows or works towards good. What does that mean? And so what we're going to find, you could give a whole bunch of examples of this, but in life, there are certain times where there's going to be something beneficial to your spirit, uh, spiritually or beneficial emotionally that, that well, that may, for example, there'll be things that are, are beneficial spiritually, but are detrimental emotionally or physically. Mm-hmm. So for examples, like s- certain kinds of suffering, not all, not all suffering is beneficial. We'll get into that when we get to the suffering study, but certain suffering is beneficial like, so, like, for example, perseverance produces character and character hope. Yeah. This goes back to these philosophers that were quoting that they said G2s seem to trump G1s. Mm-hmm. And so suffering 
produces character, which produces hope. Character and hope are G2s. Those are beneficial things mm-hmm. where it's displeasing. You're not going to enjoy the suffering. So emotionally, it's somewhat detrimental, but spiritually, it's beneficial and it outweighs it by far. Yeah. And so this just... it. What happened for us is like, okay, now that we're actually thinking through this and we're seeing it laid out and we're talking about it, you know, we're drawing the whiteboard, everyone was discussing. It's like, okay, this is helping me wrap my mind around this complex issue of good and evil a little bit better. Um, I'm not all there. I, I'm not totally fine with everything yet, mm-hmm. but but it's this is cool, right? This is helpful to kind of go through all this. Yeah, it really almost lays a foundation that allows the discussion on why evil and suffering exist to make a whole lot more sense. Because this alone doesn't clear up that whole question, but it gives us really a talking point to start from, which we're really going to be able to get into next episode and the episode after that when we are actually going into evil and sin and suffering. So I'm going to go ahead and break my rules and quote a little bit from this page. Um, as we're, I'm, I'm, I remember just enjoying this this conversation so much that first week we were doing the study. Mm-hmm. So that it really, so our theory was it seems there's these these four different types: the inherent worth or quality. So Genesis two twelve and Leviticus twenty seven twelve would be examples of that. Then there's that pleasing element, which seems much more subjective, but you it, there, it creates positivity. You appreciate it's pleasing, it's delightful. Um, and then the G two, which is beneficial, and we're going to come back to this a couple times. But it seems that there's both subjective and objective elements to that. Um, and then the G3, that something is straight or right or moral, that's more objective. Um, 1 Samuel 12, 23 and 1 Samuel 26, 16 and 2 Chronicles 19, 3. So I remember Psalm 107, 9 and Psalm 145, 9 seems to, uh, those two mentions of good seem to be all for them. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and then also another little note with that, it seems that there's this idea of an action like X doing good to Y. So X doing Doing something for Y that is beneficial or pleasing to Y, or X being good, more the quality, the pleasing, um, beneficial, etc. So it seems that good can be a state. It can also be an action or a result. So that, yeah. that was important as we went through that. So with all that in mind, we then dived into all the scripture, all, all those mentions of the text, and we had split them into the Torah, um, the historical books, the wisdom literature, the prophets, and then the, those four sections in the Old Testament, and then um, the Gospels and Acts, and then the epistles and, and Revelation in, in the New Testament. So what we're going to do now, we're going to kind of rapid fire this, but we're going we're gonna to give you some of the highlights that we took away from each of those sections. So Zach, when we, when we did, when we looked up all the passages, there looks like there's like, I don't know, 50 or so here, of uh, good in the Torah, what were some of the key points that we, that we found. Yeah, and just a quick note, uh, don't try and, if you're writing notes and whatever for main ideas, I wouldn't try and write all these down. We are going to summarize this for you guys in just a little bit. So, uh, But it, we think that it's really important to see where we're actually getting some of these different ideas from Scripture, and this really allows us to see where all of these things are coming from. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, we talked about some, in the tour. we found some different sources for beneficial goods. And so this these things are either a beneficial good themselves or they'll result in a beneficial good. Mm-hmm. And so one of the first ones that we saw is companionship in Genesis 2.18. And then we saw that observing commands and fearing the Lord uh, can result in beneficial goods. We see that in Deuteronomy 6.18 through 24. And also 10.3, and also, I think, 28. 12.28. 12.28. Uh, we also just have uh, humility and testing 
Oh, in, being like humbled. Yeah, right? being yeah. humbled. Yep, and testing in Deuteronomy eight sixteen. Uh, food and land are both beneficial things we see in Genesis three six, and then just enduring evil in Genesis fifty twenty uh, is another concept that we see here. And then as we went through the historical books, which is Joshua through Esther, Kaylee, what were some of the the things that we noticed from that section? Yeah, so there's sources of G two, so those beneficial things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's house, well, a home and resources. Mm-hmm. So Second Samuel. 7, 28, and 2 Kings 8 and 9. Um, good news, so just good news in general and, you know, good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, the yep. word of the Lord, 2 Kings twenty nineteen. Um, God himself, um, we actually find that in First Chronicles sixteen thirty four. 34. Mm-hmm. Um, humbling yourself kind of like equals, uh, maybe brings about. brings about good conditions. Um, and that's in... Second Chronicles twelve twelve, and one note on that. So we actually end up doing a whole unpacking on humility. Mm-hmm. That one was awesome because it was actually a lot different than everybody had thought, myself included. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll in a couple episodes we'll be doing look look for the one on humility. So there's um, insight, wisdom, uh, discretion um, from Second Chronicles thirty twenty two, and then statutes and commands from Nehemiah nine twenty, um, and then a. Also, so also other just other things that we find kind of side notes to mm-hmm. those is that we are to rejoice um, in what is good, which kind of seems silly, but I think it's maybe something to, yeah, it, saying it is powerful. Right. Um, and we find that concept in Second Chronicles six forty one, and then um, we are to do beneficial things. Again, seems silly, but you know we're commanded to do that, and um, that's in Zechariah two eighteen, I think, or, or Nehemiah. Nehemiah, sorry, yeah. Nehemiah two eighteen. Uh, messy handwriting is a sign of intelligence, just so you guys know. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I feel like we're going to bring this up later on, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now because there's going to be a lot of repetition in, in this episode, but it's because we're trying to hammer these points home. Uh, it may not be the place for it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It was such a light bulb clicking for me when I really began to grasp this concept of the beneficial that all, so it says like, you know, so we're to rejoice in what is good and we're to do beneficial things. You were just saying, Kaylee, that, okay, so all these commands that God gives, does he give them because he's controlling and he just wants to test us to see that he'll obey? Um, or does he actually give them because they're beneficial? Hmm. Um, actually, yeah, I know this is going to come when, when we get into love and justice. So, uh, so I'll elaborate more later, but I'll just say for right now, it began to kind of dawn on me, huh? So all the commandments that he gives us, they're commands because they create benefit for us or others, and that's why he commands it. And then all the prohibitions that he gives, he, he must give them because they're detrimental to us or others. Mm-hmm. That really began changing things for me. Yeah. All right. And so then we went into the wisdom literature. This was Job through Ecclesiastes, and this had a ton of, of stuff to it. And so, again, so we saw a whole bunch more sources of these G2s of beneficial goods. We And, and we saw one of the things about unpacking studies is there's a lot of repetition in Scripture. So sometimes, you know, we might have, like, 1800 verses but there's only eight of us in the study and so realistically the eight of us aren't going to cover all 1800 but we but we try to do as best as we can and we find that actually there's a lot of repeat so like mm-hmm. when somebody's given in their update someone else is like oh, 
I had that in my section too, mm-hmm. right? It just helps us read, oh, this is an important thing. So we see God himself um, and his name are sources of good in Psalm 20, 25, 8 and Psalm 52, 9. Um, seeking the Lord and trusting in him uh, is, is a beneficial thing. Psalm 34, 10 and 37, 3. We know that... Um, wickedness and deceit are not beneficial. This is Psalm 36, 3. So this goes back to the point we we're just making, that that sin would be something detrimental. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the argument that sin doesn't bring glory to God or just dishonors God, and that's why it's a sin, I think that's true. I don't think that's the whole picture. I think when you start realizing that the sin is something detrimental to you or others, it starts to make a more complete picture of that. Uh, God's love, you know, a lot of these were kind of duh, you know, type things. But God's love is, is a beneficial good, Psalm 69, 16. His nearness in uh, Psalm 73, 28. Giving thanks to God is beneficial, Psalm 92, 1. Or, or singing his praises in Psalm 147, 1. Um, if you oh if you fear if you do the commands and you fear the Lord it brings about understanding which results in good Psalm one eleven ten ordinances which is statutes and commands knowledge and discernment uh, even affliction Psalm one nineteen seven talks about affliction as good hmm. is it pleasing no is it is it beneficial it can be right yeah. and this will get more into the suffering study unity Psalm one thirty three eleven um, the Lord giving wisdom was all through Proverbs um, the fruit of a man's words and deeds in Proverbs. 12, 14. Uh, a crooked mind is something that is not beneficial. It's detrimental. Uh, I think a lot of these next ones are from Proverbs. A joyful heart, finding an excellent wife, being gracious to the poor, honey. <laughs> this is, honey is good. Uh, rebuking the wicked, being blameless, eating, drinking, and laboring. That's what Ecclesiastes. Rejoicing, uh, partnership or partnering, good, a good name. Um, the day of one's death and the day of one's birth. I think that was Ecclesiastes as well. Wisdom and inheritance. Fear of the Lord or grasping something. Ecclesiastes 7.18. Even the light and sun. These are all things mentioned as, as good uh, biblically. Um, some of the results that we saw. So this, this gets a little bit into question three as far as what are the benefits to embracing good. Um, it brings about favor with God and men. Uh, a good word brings about a glad heart. Proverbs 12.25. Kindness and truth will result if one's in Embracing good, Proverbs fourteen twenty two, uh, wisdom, knowledge, and joy, and then one of my favorite phrases. This was from Proverbs fifteen thirty. It brings fat to the bones, <laughs> and I love that because the idea you imagine like being cold if you're real skinny, you know, in, in the winter, and so having that fat in the bones can provide some warmth and some protection. And so I, I love the way the Bible describes things sometimes. So if you embrace good, if you're trying to receive more good and you're trying to achieve more good, one of the benefits is fat to the bones. I just, I just, I just like that. That just resonates with me. Yeah. Um, some of the other notes that we saw from this section, you should depart from evil and do good and, and, and abide in that forever. Uh, for the sake of the kingdom, you should, oh, this is a great one. This is, this is Psalm 122.9. For the sake of the kingdom, seek the good of others. So seek, the, you know, find, be, be beneficial to others. Seeking good will, will result in favor. This is in Proverbs 11.27 and 12.2. Um, and it leaves an inheritance. Um, you know, for, for those after you. So those, those were some of the points that we saw from the wisdom literature. Um, and then where are we, Zach? Yeah. So yep. in the prophets, the, so this was Isaiah through, uh, I always want to say Malachi just because I think it's funny, but <laughs> you overstay it and it's no longer funny. So Malachi. But from Isaiah to Malachi, what were some of the points that we saw? Yeah, so we saw some more uh, sources for beneficial things, seeking justice, uh, reproving ruthlessness, defending the orphan, pleading for uh, wisdom. 
uh, and then th- this you kind of uh, spoke about already, but just the whole idea that sinning is not beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of times we, because uh, sin is pleasing a lot of times, yes. but it's not actually beneficial. And so recognizing that there's a difference between those two things and understanding the implications of that is really uh, just eye-opening. Yeah, well, so in the evil sin study, I'm just going to jump ahead here. My definition of, of evil and sin is primarily a turning away from God and his beneficial goods and secondarily turning to some pleasing but detrimental thing that falls outside his parameters. Mm-hmm. And so you can see where these all start blending together. Yeah, because, I mean, the reason this is also jumping ahead, but, like, one of the reasons we sin is because it's pleasing. Like, mm-hmm. you don't sin because it's uh, just, like, awful for you and all this other stuff like there's things that seem good and it is in the good spectrum it's pleasing but it's not actually beneficial and so just realizing that difference is important and, and this will even change the way we talk in everyday language like you know you're just supposed to be a good person hmm. well that's true but what does that mean now according to this not because we might just mean don't be don't be severely detrimental to others hmm. Well, it would mean don't be detrimental in any way yeah. and not only not be detrimental, actually be beneficial. So if you're a, if you really are a good person um, and this will come out in Romans five, but you're actually being beneficial to others. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we also saw in Jeremiah thirty two thirty nine that the millennium and restoration of Israel and Jerusalem is a beneficial thing. That's good. Uh, also, just waiting silently and bearing the yoke. Lamentations 3, uh, 6 through 7. Uh, God's words are beneficial, which is Malachi 2, 7, uh, especially for the upright. Um, God says that these things are good in Micah 6, 8, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. So that, let's let's read that real quick because it's such a great verse. So this is Micah 6, 8. <laughs> he, uh, this is in the NIV. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that becomes a great like summary verse. There'll be several of these, mm-hmm. but a summary verse of what is good is to act justly, which we'll find out in the justice studies to make things right uh, and to love mercy and to walk humbly. And, 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 so, and so we've done an unpacking on mercy and we've done an unpacking on justice and we've done an unpacking on humility. And so, so you have to take your time, right? Year, it takes years to record all these. Yeah. So you take you guys, the listeners, years to listen to all these. But listening to all of them and start applying all this, it really begins to transform things, which goes back to the maturity study yeah. that you're trying to apply the details of the Bible to the details of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also some results that we saw in uh, the prophets. In Jeremiah six sixteen. we saw that walking in a good way uh, gives you rest. And uh, in Amos 5, 4, uh, it says to seek goodness that you may live. And so just life and that abundant life really can result from uh, yeah. beneficial things. The Jeremiah six sixteen, I love it. it we, we quote this in Know Thyself. It says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask where the ancient paths are, where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. But you did not. Hmm. And so this gets an application of this whole study. That so if you think about that verse, stand at the crossroads and ask where the ancient paths are, where the good way is. So ask what what is the path that brings about that has worth and is pleasing and is beneficial and is moral within God's parameters. Yeah. Ask where that path is and then walk in it and you'll find rest for your soul. 
but you did not. He's talking to the, to the Israelites there. Mm. Um, and so this is still true of us today, that we don't even ask what the ancient path looks like. So this goes back to one of the points of these podcasts, is we're trying to paint a picture. What does the ancient paths look like? And then what does it look like to walk those paths? Mm-hmm. And and I, I have experienced this firsthand. If I've begun to do this, I find rest. Um, but I still don't always do it. Yeah. Right? What, a, what, a, what a wretch am I? Mm. All right. So that, that was the prophets in the Old Testament. So then moving into the New Testament in the Gospels and Acts, we started getting some more. Yeah. We started getting some more details uh, and insights or elaborations into what good is all about. So, Kaylee, what, what did we find in Matthew through Acts? Yeah. So, um, you know, more describing more of what what is good here. Um, and so we found one that works and fruit or good works and fruit are consistent with repentance, um, that righteousness is good, Mm -hmm. um, that we keep commands and being faithful is good, um, helping those in need is good, and showing honor to Christ is good. Um, And just like a few side notes, um, ask and receive good things from God. Um, It's kind of, well, duh, again, one of those dumb (laughs) moments, but it's like, yeah, like we should ask. It's good for us to ask and receive good things from God. Um, And And, then the idea- And think about that, that definition. Lord, help me bring about things in my life that have worth and value. Right. Help me find ways that are that are pleasing to you that can also be pleasing to me. Right. Benefit me. G- give me uh, an advantage um, and, and help me live a moral life. Right. right. So we start plugging these definitions into this. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. Right. Right. And then there's, uh, and Shannon, if you want to talk more about this, the good tree and the good fruit kind of analogy there that we found. <sighs> yeah, that... <sighs> There was a whole big debate with a verse that says uh, a, a good tree will produce good fruit. And it, it used kind of absolute all or nothing language. Right. And so we talked about practically what, what does that mean or what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so the, and we're going to come more into this in the summary. But the idea behind this is if, yeah, we won't go into all this right now because we'll get into it later. Right. But everybody has the potential of, of good. But if you, if you, Confess Jesus as, as Lord, as your master, and he's your king, and he's your friend, and, and he's your, your God, your creator, and you're aligning with him, you're going to be producing more and more good fruit. Right. So anybody can produce a little bit of good, but it's really aligning yourself with God where you're going to see massive amounts of that good. Quick side note on that, because sometimes the Bible will use this absolute black and light white language to prove a point, right. but shouldn't be taking hyper literally. First John is very much this way. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just trying to prove the point. And so it's not this, if you're a believer, you'll do only good. Right. And if you're not, if you're not a believer, you won't do any good. It's not saying that. Right. Um, and, and cause it, this goes back to the faith study that faith equals belief plus trust, mm-hmm. where belief is that initial true, sincere acknowledgement of who God is, who Jesus is. And then trust is that ongoing, slow maturity. Right. The picture that gets painted when you take all these passages together is that when you become a Christian, you really are making a commitment to pursuing these ancient good paths. Right. But as a Christian, this goes back to the seven stage journey. If, if you're a boat riding Christian, you're still in the initial stages, which most Christians are. There's not a whole lot of good. You're, you're doing, doing some good, not right. a whole lot. But it's really once you start water walking, once you truly start climbing into the wheelbarrow in that analogy right. uh, and really maturing your faith, you're going to see a whole lot more good that comes from that. Right. Right. Um, And then just a few results from um, the Gospels and Acts, like results of doing good or receiving good. So so we become salt and light um, and we then men around us see that they taste the saltiness, they see the light and they give glory to God. Yeah. Which is cool. So think about that. If we be if we 
become good uh, or become more good and we do more good, one of the benefits, one of the results is people actually going to glorify God more. So this goes back to water walkers and wind walkers in the, in the seven stage journey from, yeah. from season one. These are the ones that actually are accomplishing a lot more good. Right. Um, and men will see this and give and, and glorify God, recognizing his resplendent heaviness and beginning to revel in that and all, all the glorified, you know, because like now as we talk through all this stuff, I think of the definitions and the unpackings and so yeah. I throw them yeah, out there. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, and so, so people, if you're, if you're not, if you, if you don't stay in the boat as a Christian and you truly try to get mm-hmm. on the water and, and up in the air, you know, maturing in your faith and becoming the complete version of you and finding your calling, right. these are things that are actually going to point people um, more back to God. Right. And then in the last section, the epistles and letters, uh, what do we find out about, about good? Yeah, so we see some more things of what it is and what it leads to, um, unsurprisingly. <laughs> uh, so we see that the truth of God abounding to his glory is something that good leads to. Uh, we also see good in laws and commands, kind of like what you were just talking about with um, the laws and commands aren't like a list of things just arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Like they actually are promoting beneficial things and uh discounting detrimental ones also the will of god is something that's good uh not causing a brother to stumble is good and then paul uh says to not touch a woman is also good Mm -hmm. and so that kind of brings up a whole little discussion about um is it good to marry is it good not to marry and we were talking about this a little bit earlier and we basically decided that there's different benefits to each of those. Right. And real, so, real quick, this is the passage that in a lot of English translations, is it, Paul says it's good for a man not to marry. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that in some of the English translations, the Greek, it's, it's, a good, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And so some translations will, will do the hyper-literal. Some will say when he says that, what he means is marrying, right? So that, that's the passage that we're talking about. So keep going. Yeah. And so uh, just saying that it's good to not have the temptation to... Uh, touch a woman and that sort of idea. And so there's benefits and there's different benefits that Paul talks about in other places of singleness, Mm -hmm. Uh, just not having to like be providing for another person and some of those different things that he elaborates on. But then there also are benefits to marriage. And so uh, having a companion, someone to go through life with all these different things. And so uh, all of this to say, Paul isn't saying that it's bad to be married or that it's bad to be single, just that there is actually specific benefit in being single. Right. Uh, although there is also benefit in being married. And so this brings up a good point with Scripture. Sometimes the inverse of the statement is true. Sometimes it's not. Hmm. Yeah. So you'll see a statement, and you can tell, and you have, to, you have to look at contextually, you have to look at all the other relevant passages in Scripture, and you can say when he makes this statement, he's also saying that the inverse of it is also true, right? So if this is good, then this is bad. Other times it's not the case, and this yeah. is one of them. So when he says it's good for a man to not marry, he's not saying it's bad for a man to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important to recognize that because sometimes you'll hear people, and this could be behind the pulpit sometimes. Uh, a lot of times it's just around a table where people will take some verse and then they'll read the inverse of it and teach the inverse mm. when that's not necessarily true. Yeah. So I was going to be careful with that. Yeah. Yep. And then also just some other random notes that we see from the epistles and letters. Uh, we actually saw something that was really interesting. It relates back to the maturity study that we did a while ago, uh, just talking about the three stages of like being a sinner, being righteous, and then being good. Mm-hmm. And so that different, uh, just that whole uh, spectrum of where you can actually be as an individual. Um, 
And so that was really interesting to see again. And, and I want to highlight that real quick. Okay. So because it, this is definitely one of the paradigms of how I see life now, because, because this is because of Romans 5, which I'm going to read here in a second, 1 Corinthians 3, a bunch of other passages. We, we explain this more in detail in the maturity study, so mm-hmm. you can go back. But I really do believe there's basically four stages that one can go through in life spiritually. So the first stage is where we all start, which is the non-believer stage. You haven't yet committed to Jesus. Then the second stage is where you join the boat in the seven-stage journey, and you sincerely, sincerely confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he is master, and you commit to him. Um, you're still a mess, yeah. um, but you've committed to him now, and, and, you, and your destination has now changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third stage is where you start maturing in your faith. Uh, and truly trying to become the more complete version of you. And so your flesh has less power uh, and less influence. You're going to sin less. Because a lot of times you can look at a non-believer and a believer, and, and the non-believer actually to some extent sins less than the believer sometimes. <laughs> like, wait, what's going on here, right? So so anyways, and so that third stage is, is really beginning to mature in your faith. And that's a huge long stage. And then that fourth stage, the, the, the immature believers and the mature believers get to go to heaven where they become the they do finally become the complete versions of themselves and so for some examples of this um you talk about like the eat, uh, drinking milk versus eating the solid food yeah working out your salvation with fear and trembling um first corinthians 3 talks about you can build on the foundation of jesus with wood hay straw or you can build with gold silver costly stones the parable of the talents you can take god's talents that he's given you and and put them in a bank to earn interest and just kind of squeak by or you can actually invest them heavily and get a greater return on the fold. Um, parable of the seeds, the choked Christian that still has life, but the, the worries of life choke it and kind of paralyze it to some extent. And then that fruitful seed that actually just bounds and, and, and creates even even more you know, from that. So we see this a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, this all came about, I think, first and foremost from this Romans 5 passage that you were just referencing. And so it says here, this is in verses 6 to 8. He says, you see, this is Paul talking, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see in this passage, Paul would group three different people. There is the powerless slash ungodly slash sinner. That's one group. There's the righteous, which is a second group, and there's the good, which is a third group. Yeah. And and it always confused me because I had always saw good as like average or okay, you know, or, or maybe slightly above average, where righteous would seem like perfect. So I would have ranked them sinner, then good, then righteous. But if you go by that ranking, this passage doesn't make sense because it says rarely will somebody die for the righteous person, the the full version, though they might die for the middling average type person. Like that doesn't really make any sense. So when I realize we have to go unpacking with the definitions that the Bible intends, it changes. Righteousness um, is in in this sense, and we're going to do a whole unpacking on it, and it's much more complex than what I'm saying right here. (laughs) But in this sense, it means of um, basically a zero – these are accounting terms – zero balance in your ledger. Um, and so all of your sins been erased where good means positive in your ledger um, because you've been doing these beneficial things for self and for others where the sinner or the ungodly the idea is you have a whole bunch of detriment or negative in your ledger so what he would say is there are those that have the negative in, in their ledger because of all the sin mm-hmm. there are those that are at a zero balance because God's erased all their sin because they place their faith in him and then there's the the good or the beneficial that's actually contributing to the well-being of society so with that 
in mind when you read this passage. Now it makes more sense. Paul says, rarely are you actually going to die for the zero balance person that has really neither good nor bad or just kind of at neutral. Mm -hmm. Though if somebody actually has is good, they actually have benefit, they've created a lot of positivity and such, then you might die for them because they're actually they're really helpful to everybody. Yeah. And what Paul found so amazing was that for humans, you might die for the good person. You're probably not going to die for the just or righteous or, or zero balance person. You're definitely not going to die for the negative person. God, Paul says God died for all of us in the negative. Like how crazy is that, right? So, so that, so that's, this helps again. Um, would you rather be righteous or good? Biblically, the answer is good. Hmm. Where in church language, we would say, well, righteous. Because good means like you're doing maybe more good than bad, but you haven't believed yet. Yeah. No, in this Romans 5 passage, righteous is you've truly believed in Jesus. You're heading home when you die. All of your sins been forgiven. That's fantastic. That's great. But don't stay there. You need to move into becoming a good person that's, that's creating this benefit uh, and advantage for everybody. Yeah. That's really cool. And this is really just an example of when you actually begin to look into these concepts, how it affects how you read scripture. Mm -hmm. Because if you hadn't looked into this and hadn't figured out what good means, you would be, I mean, everything you just said, really confused about right. why good, like why is good so important in this list. But when you actually begin to look in to see what scripture says about good, you can actually understand, and this applies to all of the unpacking right, studies. Right. Uh, when you actually see what a concept means biblically, it helps you understand the Bible which helps you understand concepts biblically, which helps you understand. And it's just this circle uh -huh. I love it. Uh, of how you can actually begin to really figure out what all of this really means. Yeah, I wish you listeners could actually, if you lived here in Lynchburg, you could sit in and do these four-week studies where we actually get to like, come to the conclusion ourselves as we, mm -hmm. as we read all the scripture. Yeah. yeah. And so some other notes uh, from the epistles and letters. Uh, we also see in here that Paul says that there's nothing good in his flesh. And so really, uh, we're going to talk more about this in a little bit, but just mm -hmm. uh, the idea that your flesh is separate from your will. And we're just going to leave it at that for now. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. And then also, God works all things for good for those who love him, which that passage can mean a lot. It, it has a lot tied to it, depending on when you've heard that. Because um, yeah. if you've heard that in a time of suffering, uh, that passage really can have some m meaning for you. And a lot of times, uh, I think it's said very flippantly, um, but just the idea that there is complete benefit and that's uh, God working all things for good, which we're going to talk about more when we talk about suffering and how. And let's read that, that verse real quick. So this is Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And so the idea here, now that we're understanding what good is, he's creating some sort of benefit, whatever may happen. So this is what we mentioned beforehand when we we're kind of going, prepping for all this. It's complex. And so we talked about how there's spiritual benefit and emotional benefit and physical benefit, you know, and there's seen and unseen. So it is thrown out kind of flippantly. And I wished it was. I wish it wasn't. Yeah. And so what I would, I, but it's still scripture. So you still mm -hmm. want to use it, but I want to use it as accurately and as, as in-depthly as we can. And so the idea would be, and by the way, if somebody's actually going through suffering, the most important thing you can do is offer them comfort. Yeah. Just being with them. Even just being presence. with them and mm -hmm. just, just bearing their burdens with them. That's the most important thing. Typically, when they're still through the grieving process or especially in the anger process, these kind of verses typically don't help psychologically, practically in the yeah. moment. They need to be brought up beforehand mm -hmm. <laughs> and afterwards. But mm -hmm. usually during the middle, you just kind of want to bear the burdens with them. Mm -hmm. But anyways, but the idea being here is that God knows all things. This goes back to the Job study. And, he, and, this goes, and we'll come back to this with the suffering study as well. 
that some suffering he might actually orchestrate, some he just permits. There's a whole bunch to all that. But anyways, that he can recognize some benefit. We may not know if it's a spiritual benefit or an emotional benefit or a social benefit. We may not know to what degree that benefit is. We may not know when that benefit's going to occur. And we sometimes we just need to trust that we don't know all those details, yeah. but that something is going on there. And it's probably better for you to come to grips with this ahead of time so that when you're going through the suffering, you can remind yourself of that rather than having somebody just kind of tell you that isn't going through what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So. And then also uh, we see in this section of verses that we need to give ourselves to what is good. Uh, also the idea of overcoming evil with good. I believe in this verse it also or it might be another one, but it talks about like heaping coals on your head or on the head of your enemies or yeah. something like that. And you had a really cool insight about what that actually means. Cause I feel like a lot of times I, I know what, growing up when I heard those verses, I always thought that it was like, Oh yeah. So if I'm just patient and endure whatever's going on now, then, then he, he's going to have burning coals leaped on his head and it's going to be really, really awful for him, but God's going to do that. So that's going to be even better than me trying to do it. But that's not actually what you found that passage no. really means. And, and this wasn't an insight that I gleaned. This was told to me by, by two different two different sources, but it blew my mind when I heard it. So I've long said Galatians 5 is one of the key passages of Scripture because it's if you walk in step of the Spirit, you will not care at the desires of the flesh mm-hmm. and then tells you what that looks like. Um, I've also said Second um, Peter 1 is a really good one, practically at to your faith, goodness, and goodness, knowledge. There's been a couple key chapters. John 3 is another great one. I'm fast realizing Romans 12, and, I, and Romans 5 to 8 is huge, uh, but Romans 12 is another great one. Um, I, I In seminary, people loved Romans, but they loved it more for the high theology, which a lot of people still disagreed <laughs> on the points, Romans yeah. 9, that kind of deal. I don't love Romans for the high theology. I love it for the practicality because I realized yeah. kind of contextually, Paul was writing to the church in Rome, which had a lot of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and they were just not getting along and they were not understanding how this was going to work as Jews and Gentiles together in one body, in one community. And so he wrote this very practical letter, which has some high theology to it, but it's not really the point of the letter. The point of the letter is more unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really helpful for me. I approach Romans now as a practical way to show love and unity with each other with some high theology thrown in there. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so Romans 12 kind of goes with first, oh, first Corinthians 13 is the other other big you know, love chapter. Romans 12 goes very much with first Corinthians 13. And so it's explaining, you know, what, what love looks like in action. So in, in verse nine there, it says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Cling, the Greek word means to, is glue. So glue yourself to what is good, mm. what is pleasing in God's eyes, what is beneficial to self and others, etc. Um, be devoted to one another in love. So you can see where good and love overlap tremendously. Yeah. Um, and so, so it goes through this whole list. Then it says uh, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. In the Greek, bless means to speak well of, curse means to strongly disagree or dislike. Uh, and so it says, speak well of those who persecute you, speak well of them and do not strongly disagree agree or dislike them. Hmm. It's like, whoa, that changes the tone of everything, you know? And so then, and then he goes through some more examples. And in verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So if somebody's been detrimental to you, you cannot be detrimental to them. Um, be careful to do what is right or good in the eyes of, of everyone. If possible, live at peace, etc. Then it says in verse 19, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. That's his job. So on the contrary, 
If an enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And so, so this the way that you had long thought as a kid is, you, you know, it's revenge. Well, the whole point of this passage is it's not revenge and it's hmm. not detrimental. So heaping burning coals on their head can't be anything detrimental because that's already been ruled out from this passage. So you have to do something mm-hmm. beneficial. So I had long thought maybe it, it meant just like it would be a wake-up call to them. Like, you know, if they're kind of a bully and they're being mean to you and instead you be you be kind, useful, or yeah. you be good, beneficial to them, that it'll catch them off guard. Like, why are you being nice to me? Why are you being good to me? You know, I haven't been good to you. And then so it's like it's like, you know, because if you threw burning coals in my head, it would wake me up. So it's some sort of wake-up call. That's what I long thought it meant. Well, just recently come across, I think we said this in a, 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 an episode or two it's ago. Possible, yeah. But anyways, that, that in the culture, you would have, you know, you'd bring coals, burning coals in your home to warm under the bed or the food or bring warmth to the room, whatever, bring warmth in. And so people would be, would, would grab these coals from other places in town, put them in these bowls on their head and then carrying them back to their home for these very good, useful purposes. But on the way, walking, a lot of times the mm-hmm. coals would go out or they'd get cold and so they're useless by the time they get there. This, by the way, goes to uh, uh, that's a rabbit trail. Anyways, so so when it says you um, by doing this good to them, you're heaping burning coals on their head. The idea is, is if, if you saw somebody walking with the coals in their head, but you could tell the coals that had lost that glow, and so the heat had started to go out, a really nice thing to do would be to take some of your coals that you have that are still mm. warm and put it in their bowl on their head so that they can still have a usefulness when they get home. And so what it says is if somebody has wronged you, if they're your enemy, if they've created some sort of detriment, you know what you should do? If, if, they're, if they're going home and, and the coals on their head have started to get cold, you give them some of your warm coals so that they can still experience some sort of benefit. Mm-hmm. And so the idea here is you need to be beneficial to your enemies. Now, we Christians, I've seen this, we'll try to find every way that we can to argue that's not what it means. Uh, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll, we'll put any kind of spin. We'll bring in mm-hmm. righteous anger. We'll bring in boundaries. We'll bring in anything we can to not have to actually accept that when somebody creates some sort of detriment to us, we as Christians, our response to them is to be beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. And to me, one of the greatest signs of maturity is not how long you've been a Christian because you don't automatically mature. Yeah. You can stay in the boat your entire life if you're not intentional. One of the greatest signs of mature Christian, and, and I am not good at this, okay? But yeah. it's something that I'm being convicted by and I want to get better at this, that when somebody wrongs me in some way and they're my enemy in the moment and they've created detriment in my life, my response must be to find some way to be useful and beneficial to them. I don't want to do that. <laughs> And I don't know how to do that. And the Bible would say, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the, if you walk in step with the Spirit, what's the very first fruit? Love. And so what I'm realizing is, if I'm at a place, and this is true for you for you guys here, for you listeners, if you got somebody that's your enemy in the moment and they're wronging you, and you're like, I don't even want to be beneficial to them. And even if I wanted to, I don't know if I could. You, of course you can't. Hmm. But that's not an excuse not to. Yeah. Because what it stays, if you walk in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will begin to change your heart and your mind so that you want to. And then the Spirit will then enable you and empower you to have the ability to do it. So you can't give me an excuse, I don't know how to, because you can be walking with God and you could. So really the problem is you're not walking in step with the Spirit in the moment. You're being in that righteous zero balance stage, not the good stage. And the Bible would say that God is looking for good. Now, righteous still get in. Righteous are still saved. 
But God's looking for good Christians. God's looking for those that will walk in step with him to Mm. be more loving and to be good and to do more good and do more beneficial. It really changes everything. Yeah, and with this, you can really see how good and love begin to overlap and how there's just a lot of things that uh, as you're doing that and you're you're doing beneficial things, you're doing that out of a mindset of love. And so just the whole verse that talks about they'll know we are Christians by our love. Uh, you can really begin to see how that can happen in just a completely new and invigorated way when we actually try and be good, even though that's not something that comes natural and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So some other insights <laughs> from yeah. the epistles. Um, Most of those are from Romans, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it also says that we need to be wise in good things and then uh, just really stay away from evil. Um and one point on that. So, again, as you go through more and more of these unpacking studies and you start remembering the definitions. And so when these words come out, you put it in there. When we did the wisdom study the, the summer, um, wisdom. So there's there's knowledge, understanding and wisdom. Knowledge is like getting the information and some sort of initial experience with. And then understanding is a more in-depth version of that. As one gets more understanding and a more in-depth uh, experience of, of truth, then one can become wise. And the idea of wise is skillful in the use of that in-depth understanding. And so here when it says to be wise and good and unmixed and evil, the idea here is that one should have a deep understanding of what good looks like yeah. and then become to be, begin to become skillful in the use of that good and then not mixing yourself with anything that might be pleasing but detrimental. Hmm. So I love it. Right? I love when you start putting all this stuff together. Yeah. And then uh, also just the whole idea we really saw in these passages that good uh, can be both subjective and objective. Mm -hmm. And so really what that means is that um, with like, for example, with pleasing things, something could be pleasing for me, but that's not necessarily going to be pleasing for you. Right. And so like yesterday or uh, if my if the football team that I like wins a game that I'm going to be excited about that. Yeah, just so you know, we have a Michigan person and an Ohio person here in the studios. We do. And so there was some debate ahead of, before the recording on uh, was. Michigan and Ohio State. That's why I decided to not name uh, but, but sports I, ball teams. I figured to bring, oh, yeah, let's, let's bring the drama out, you know. Um, but something that uh, so if you like that team, then you're going to think that that's good and that's pleasing and everything. But if you don't, then it's going to be... It's not. And so that's just a really low-level example, but that kind of shows that there is subjectivity with this. Right. And there's both. And objectivity. That certain things God has established, this is beneficial. Because we talk Mm -hmm. about there'll be things in the moment that are beneficial for you, but not for me, given our circumstances. Right. Um, and so so some some good is objective. Some good is subjective. Right. You can see, again, four different categories within the benefits, six different types of spiritual, emotional, intellectual, et cetera. You have the subjective and objective elements. It shows that this is a very complex thing that God perfectly understands. And we can begin to grasp a little bit better. Um, but we got to be careful with these absolute black and white statements because it is complex. Right. Yeah. And I think something we we talked about um, a little bit before too is well what does it mean for good to be subjective and objective and so if we have objective good that means we don't get to decide whether it's good and so we've got people who are not Christians and we're talking about can they do good mm. well if there's objective good what does that mean the answer is so can non-believers do good things right what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, I think when we're talking about like good, the primary, like you said at the beginning, like let's try and think of good as being something that's beneficial. And then we have like all those different layers of what is beneficial. Then I would say, yeah, depending on the layer, depending on the depth of what you what kind of beneficial and what what the what the deed is, what the good mm-hmm. is, you know. So what if so I agree with you. What if somebody tried to counter you and they say, hey, but we, you guys just read that verse that there's no good in my flesh and a non-believer totally acts in the flesh. And so if there's no good in the flesh and a non-believer totally acts in the flesh, a non-believer can't be good. I use scripture, case in point, done, you're wrong. Right. What would you say to that? I think the first thing that comes to mind is, I mean, we just look back at Genesis and God is creating and God says, well, he says a few things um, that we were created in his image. And so not... I don't think it's uh, this separate thing where once we become, become Christians and, oh, all of a sudden we're made in God's image. And I think we bear God's image uh, regardless of whether or not we claim him as king, whether or not Jesus is our king. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at that, but then also looking at creation um, as God goes through, he says several times, like, this is good. And then he gives himself a day to rest and enjoy what the good things mm-hmm. he created. Right. So... To me, I, I, you know, you can look practically. A number of years ago in D.C., um, it was in the winter. This is I don't know when this was, 80, I think in the 80s. And a plane took off from Reagan National Airport and crashed into the 14th Street Bridge. It goes from Virginia yeah. into, into D.C. Yeah. And crashed into the bridge. And so the plane broke up. It was like during rush hour that morning. And yeah. so the cars, you know. So a lot of people ended up in the Potomac. And this was in winter. So it was, you know, the ice flows. It was half frozen, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So people were going to die very quickly from hypothermia. There was a guy, I don't know his name, um, but he had somehow got in the water. I think maybe he was on the plane or whatever. And, but, you know, it's because a lot of people that, that, that when the plane broke up, they still survived. They were still alive in the water. So helicopters very quickly came and the helicopters were dropping down these um, uh, lifesavers, you know, yeah. the, the circular things for people to, to, to grab onto. Then they were hoisting them up. Mm-hmm. This one guy, I mean, I may be getting some of the details wrong, but. He 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 was the one that caught the rat the 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 lifesavers that came down like five or six times, mm-hmm. and every time he gave it to somebody else yeah. for them to, to hoist up, and he died. Yeah, because by the time the seventh time seventh time it was thrown down, he drowned. Yeah, I don't know if he was a believer or not. But I know that there are a lot of non-believers that lay their life down. And yeah. the Bible says there's no greater good than this. Yeah. So yeah. I can think of all kinds of practical examples of non-believers doing beneficial things. Right. Um, and so, so and, and I, I had a friend of mine who held to non-believers can't do good things. And so I gave this, these examples. And, and her response was, well, they didn't do it with right motives. So it doesn't really count. And I'm like, okay, just think through the words that just came out of your mouth. You know, yeah. first of all, how do you know their motives? Second of all, the guy in the water, if he wasn't a believer, he was doing it out of wrong motives. I think he was doing it because he wanted to make sure other people survived, right? So be careful with that. So then you, and then you go back to the Genesis account that God created mankind and he, and he called them good. Um, and so this, so then, then going, to, so going to Paul's verse about nothing's good in my flesh. When he says flesh, he's referring to the sinful nature, not like not the person, the sinful nature of the person. And so he says, and we all 
because he says my, and he's a believer when he writes this, all non-believers and believers have flesh. We all have, and we're not, it's not talking about the physical body here. Yeah. Um, we, all of us, believers and non, have a, a sinful nature. We, we are prone to, this will come up in the evil sin study again, but we are prone to or, um, to do things that, you know, turning away from God and turning to detrimental things. We're prone to that. Mm-hmm. And so he says there's no good and there's no, there's no benefit to turning to detrimental things. Yeah. Um, so he recognizes that. But that's all he's saying is the sinful nature itself, there's no good to it. There's no benefit to wanting to turn to detrimental things. That's kind of a dust statement. Mm-hmm. But we still have our will. And so, you know, God in Ecclesiastes, God has said eternity on the hearts of men. So I believe passionately that that every human has some sort of understanding and desire for good. How what degree that goes to, how good they are at actually accomplishing that, that's mm-hmm. going to vary all across the board. Yeah. And it would seem that the mature believer is going to accomplish way more good than the immature believer or the non-believer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean the non-believer can't accomplish good. And that's, that's just something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, and it depends also, going back to definitions, what type of good I think you're talking about. True, Because uh, I think that the case can definitely be made that uh, beneficial things an unbeliever can do. But it's interesting when you start looking at verses like Hebrews eleven six, which says, uh, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who uh, sincerely seek him. And so this is uh, a bit of a rabbit trail that I'm not sure how far we want to go down, but it's when you start looking into um beneficial things can an unbeliever do good it's important to to make the distinction of what type of good are we talking about are we talking about just beneficial things or are mm-hmm. we talking about moral things mm-hmm. because it could be that there's a difference uh, maybe unbelievers can do beneficial things which i think we've all seen in different times uh just rich people giving money to people like th- there's just a lot of um or rich unbelievers giving money to different people charitable organizations that sort of thing we see that and so beneficial things definitely happen but I think the question can start to become, can an unbeliever do uh, a morally good thing in the same way that a believer can? And so it it adds another level to this discussion that I'm not sure how far we actually really want to get into. But it's right. really interesting to actually think through and start talking about uh, just as a part of this whole discussion. Yeah, because I'm thinking about, well, first of all, I, I definitely would not equate flesh with non-believer. Yeah, yeah. So... Would I say a non-believer can't do a moral thing if a moral thing is something that fits within God's parameters? I feel like non-believers can maybe maybe they don't know they're doing it, <laughs> sure. um, but they're actually obeying one of the commandments. So in that sense, I think a non-believer can do a moral thing. Mm-hmm. Can the flesh, i.e., the sinful nature, do something moral? Then I would say no. Yeah. So that's why I would definitely distinguish between the flesh and a non-believer. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people equate doing good with pleasing God in the Hebrews eleven six verse that I just read. But it's faith, and so it's um, well because it's it says it's impossible to please God without faith, and right, so I right. think a lot of times people say, "See, it's impossible for a, an unbeliever to do good." Uh, God doesn't see anything they do as good. That's not what it's saying. But it's really a question of, is God pleased with what they're doing? And so that, uh, again, adds another layer of complexity to this. Um, Are beneficial things that unbelievers do pleasing to the sight of God, even though they're pleasing to 
men around them. Mm. I would say to some extent, God is pleased when somebody does good, whether they're a believer or not. Mm-hmm. Um, is he pleased enough to then give them, you know, if you salvation. do enough yeah, yeah. salvation? Yeah. No, that that salvation is a faith thing, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not, a, not a works thing. Um, now, I'm also thinking of there's a passage in the Old Testament. I try to look up, can't find it about like we don't desire any good thing. It's a very absolute statement that we want to take mm-hmm. in context. There's also we're filthy rags. Um, That's just, Isaiah 64 too, I believe. Yeah, and just to note on that, the Hebrew is actually, it's talking about menstrual rags. It's kind of gross, but um, so he says we're filthy rags. It means that we're menstrual rags. And I had a professor at seminary point out that it's not saying that we can't do any good because a menstrual rag does a lot of good, right? It helps stop the bleeding um, during the menstruation. So it's messy hmm. um, and it's unclean in, in, in the Hebrew sense. But for somebody to say a non-believer can't do any good because we're all filthy rags is totally not using the meaning that Isaiah intended with that. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, and anything else? There's also some results that we can see in the epistles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so moving right. And so you can really begin to see how when you start looking into the details of what Scripture says, you begin to see all of this complexity. And so um, this is why we go through this whole process. And it's cool that in this episode, you guys can really see where a lot of these verses are coming from because we haven't broken down what sections things have come from in the past. So hopefully you guys uh, are enjoying this. Uh, So some different results. We can see glory, honor, eternal life, and peace. Um, Some might even dare to die for someone that does Mm -hmm. good. And then also just the idea of having praise for men. Which makes it, oh, we're not supposed to get praise for men. No, if you're doing good and men praise you for that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, you don't move in an, an idolizing type sense. But mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, okay. So those were, were all the, the notes that we were collecting as we went through the study. little piece of trivia, um, the word good or any of the family of words that we looked up, none of them show up in Revelation. Hmm. I don't think there's anything to make of that. It was just an interesting side point that, that, that there were no Revelation verses. I think, in fact, I think we've only had two unpackings where all 66 books of the Bible had a reference. I think only two out of the 30 that we've done so far. Was evil one of them? <sighs> yeah, evil, and I forget the other one. Humility, actually. I think either humility. Yeah, I think it was humility. Hmm. Um, or joy, one of those two. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. A little side trivia there. Anyways, so so those are all the stuff. Um, and so all that to say, looking up the, the original wording and, and looking up the definitions to elaborate on that, coming up with those four concepts, going through all, all of the scripture, adding all these other points, really refining and confirming all, all, all that stuff. We can now conclude, we can now find do the final answer um, to question one, which is, all right, so what is what is the, a, is a definition of good according to scripture? And so the definition that, that I have from the study is that uh, uh, a biblical good is something that subjectively or objectively is inherently valuable, G0, pleasing, G1, beneficial, G2, and or right or straight or moral, G3. So, so it did confirm that there was those, those four basic categories. So anytime you see the word good in the Bible, it could mean that something has worth or it's pleasing or beautiful or delightful or it's beneficial or advantageous or it's moral or a combination of those. So that's my summary definition. I don't know if you guys had anything you wanted to add or if that's basically the basic definition you guys have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the definition. Um, and so a side note on this, and we referenced this a couple times already, 
given this, we start to see the overlap between good and love. We're also, we haven't done the, the, the recording yet, but when we do the recording on justice, we actually find an overlap between good and love and justice, that all three actually go really well together. Yeah. And so if good, it, it, among other things, at its core, it's something beneficial with the other th- other three things as well. And then love, remember the heart, soul, mind, and, and strength, and that strength component is um, – contributing to the well-being of, mm-hmm. which goes back to the beneficial, so that there's the overlap there. And then justice is the making of things right. And so we, we, so we question, well, what, what makes something right? The argument is something that's loving and good, you know, or beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to be that that really does line up with how the scripture presents it all. So what you see is, is, is good, among other things, is beneficial. Loving, among other things, is is contributing to the well-being, a benefit of others. Yeah. And then justice is, you know, that love is like desiring and doing it, and then justice is doing it. So you actually find that good, love, and justice all overlap in this really beautiful, awesome picture. Mm-hmm. So what was the comment you made beforehand about that? Yeah, because I feel, just as I was thinking through that, as you were explaining that to that that t- idea to us beforehand it's so contrary just what my own preconceived notions about what justice should be tied to because i feel like a lot of times probably the vast majority of times that i hear justice described it's in an angry uh almost revengeful type mm-hmm. mindset punishment and, wrong yeah, pun- you need to punish wrong we need justice and when you have when you contrast that idea with justice being coupled with love and uh, good, it really presents a much brighter definition of what justice entails. And I mean, really a much more biblical, like that's what we see all through scripture Mm -hmm. with God towards us. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to actually see how those play together. And I think that when we talk about justice, we'll be able to really see how that idea plays out even more. Um, but just that combination of ideas is so countercultural and so just counter everything. Even the Christians. I, I, yeah, yeah, even Christian culture. Um, but it's really, really cool when you actually begin to think about the implications of what it means that God's justice is coupled with love and goodness and not anger. Mm-hmm. And so once we do the justice study, then we're also going to do the mercy study. The mercy study also overlaps with justice, mm. that they're not contradictions, there's not tension, that one of the greatest forms of justice is actually forgiveness. Yeah. And when we get into that, it's going to you know blow everyone's mind. So so anyways, yeah, so I wanted to highlight that. It's just a really cool picture. And we'll see as we go through other ones. Um, we'll, we'll see all that play out. I don't know if you had anything to add, Kaylee, before we get in. Okay, so, so that's question one. So question two is what are the nuances and details? This is going to go a lot quicker because we actually covered a lot of these points in – well, we just did. Yeah, we kind yeah. of did a little, a little different order today than, than normal. So we're going to kind of rapid fire this section. But what? How does how does um, good work? How is it achieved? What are some of the points and details? And so to kind of rapid fire this first, some of the, the the key points that were that came out in the study. One is that God is perfectly good, so He's of utter value and worth, inestimable worth. Um, he's mm-hmm. totally pleasing, especially once we get to the other side of the gates, because now we see Him in a mirror. And we we may not always be pleased with what God is doing because we don't understand it. Once we actually understand it, he's all pleasing. Mm -hmm. Um, He's totally beneficial. He's 
contributing to our well-being, especially spiritually. And obviously, he's always right. He's always moral. He's always fitting within uh, his, his, his parameters, his good beneficial parameters. And so in his essence and character, his name, his love, his nearness, in his will, his plans, his words, his commands, and in his works, his provisions, his gifts, his salvation, all of those things are good, of, of worth, pleasing, beneficial, you know, and moral. Um, and so then it goes back to that Romans passage. He works all things for that G2 good uh, of those that love him, even, even when we can't fully see it. Yeah. And then secondly, we also, we've talked about this before, but there seems to be a direct inverse correlation between good and evil. And so we're going to explore this more next week with evil, but uh, we see uh, inherent worth coupled with worthlessness in uh, G0s and E0s. Uh, we see pleasing and displeasing. We see beneficial things and detrimental things. And then we also see uh, right and moral things and good and immoral things with evil. And then um, next we see that we are to be joyfully devoted, um, not growing weary of both the receiving and the giving of good. Um, I think the receiving is actually kind of a cool thing there. A lot mm-hmm. of times as Christians, we play like the uh, like the martyr martyr game, and we can't receive anything. Um, mm. But we shouldn't grow mm, weary. Point. We should be de- devoted joyfully to receiving good. Um, and while every person has an inherent basic recognition of what is good, there's also an, an internal batter, battle and burden of choice within all of us to embrace good. So going back, talking about that whole conversation on the flesh and mm-hmm. it's different um, than than a human. Um, thus, maturity is needed for discerning good from evil. Um, with that, a good tree produces good fruit, means we become good in God's eyes when we place our faith in Christ. And subsequently, over time, we must begin to act like it in the producing of good works. Um, and this is cyclical, mm-hmm. um, building upon the nature of good. Good begets good. We hunger for what we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And just like a few side notes here, um, lots of side notes. Um, we must do good um, to have eternal life. And the minimum good is believing in Christ as Lord. Um, oftentimes, I don't think we necessarily think of that as like a good work. But, um, I mean, really might be an ultimate good work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's a, I mean, salvific good work. Right. And one point I'll say on that. So talking about good works and fruit, there's a lot of belief both inside the church and out that it's still this idea of you have to be doing good works. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do good works, it means that you're not saved. Or if you're not producing fruit, it means you're not saved, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it gets in this whole debate of the role of right. good works, et cetera. Right. The phrase that I always say is helpful is whether you've got one ounce of fruit or 20 pounds of fruit, you're in. Yeah. And I'm not saying just do the one ounce and get by. My whole point of rekindling is for me first to do and then to help others do is to produce 20 pounds of fruit by the time they get in. That's my goal and my hope. But I understand biblically as long as there's that one ounce of fruit or one ounce of good that that but it, but here's the thing that one ounce of good or, or fruit is a very specific thing. It's the belief in Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, 9, John 3, 16, etc. And so to me, if somebody this goes back to the boat riding, water walking, all that, mm-hmm. if somebody sincerely believes that Jesus is Lord and they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. Yeah. And so that is that one one ounce of good or fruit that they accomplished in that belief. And that's salvific, just what you said, Gilly. That's enough. But don't stop there. Mm-hmm. Go work to do a whole bunch more. And so for those of you who are listening that maybe aren't a believer, you're not a Christian, but like, listen, I've done a whole lot of good in my life. And sure, I've done bad. I admit that. But I've done a whole lot of good. And God will recognize that. And, and, and I'll be in. No. 
because it goes back to what he said in the Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. Mm-hmm. So God, God may be pleased in some extent of the good you're doing. I'm not yeah. saying that He's not pleased by that, but what He's most pleased in that core, core salvific fruit is you placing your faith in Jesus as Lord. <clears throat> And then you should do a whole bunch of good beyond that as well. Yeah, because it's basically if you're an unbeliever and you have a whole lot of fruit, you're trying to put it in a basket that doesn't have a bottom. There you go. When you actually have faith, then you're able to actually put the bottom on your basket, so to speak. And so then you can actually like the works that you do actually start to matter. And something else that I wanted to say just really quick is if you are a believer and you're being content with just the little bit of fruit and you're not actively working to mature and all these different things, Mm -hmm. um, I really would just encourage you to keep working towards that because something I found in my own life is when I'm at points in my life when I'm not uh, trying to get more fruit and I'm not trying to grow, it's just miserable. Mm -hmm. Like the Mm -hmm. Christian life, if you're not trying to mature, isn't everything it's cracked up to be right right because it's not everything that it's supposed to be yeah and so if you're just sitting there content with salvation and you're wondering why christianity doesn't seem like a lot of fun and it's just not really working for you it's it, I, it's really because you're not supposed to be staying there like yeah the whole point is to be adding good to good and the things we've been saying just actually progressing and so then you can really begin to experience the fullness of what goodness the yeah, and Christianity provides. In a moment, we're going to get into the benefits of it, and you'll see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other side notes, Kaylee? Yeah. Um, so, it, kind of like that idea with the the good tree produces good fruit um, is that the good develops over time. So mm-hmm. we've got the you know the tree maybe is the salvation, the one good work of believing in Christ, and then from there we grow the fruit, um, which is you know your seventy eight pounds or ninety eight pounds right. when you get to heaven right um the other side note um though there's no good in my flesh um i will can still desire and choose good which we've talked about at yeah so that to me it's very important that we don't equate uh flesh with our sin the flesh with an unbeliever yeah we also don't want to equate flesh with will right so my flesh my sinful nature whatever that is exactly is bent right, right. and broken but i still have uh the will to and, and paul talks about this as well but yeah so I, you can your flesh may be counter to it but your will can still want it and still get it achieved through your strength and actions etc right okay and then there also really just seems to be a focus on the beneficial things the g2s that we've been talking about Uh, which contribute to your emotional, your spiritual, your intellectual, physical, and social well-being of you and others. And so just that emphasis on that. We definitely, so I feel like in the American church, if we look at these four categories, there's an emphasis on the moral. And the idea would be make sure you're being moral. If you can be beneficial in that, great. That's an icing on the cake. But make sure you're moral. I feel like given the study, it's the reverse. Mm-hmm. Well, not quite the reverse, but what I mean is is make sure you're being beneficial to others. The whole point of good and love and justice. Make sure that you're creating benefit for self and others. And if you're doing that, you are moral. Mm-hmm. Like that's the definition of moral. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's, it's, it, and the, the whole point of being moral, i.e. following God's commands, is to be loving and beneficial. And so the goal isn't to become moral and follow, because the Pharisees try to be moral and mm-hmm. follow all the rules, whether there was any love in it or not and it would seem that we're not saying i'm not saying go for all the beneficial and then if the moral happens great i'm not saying that what i'm saying is if you put if you go for all the beneficial you'll be moral yeah 
So like I said, it, it'll happen. So it changes the order a little bit. Yeah, because like the verse that talks about all of the law and the commandments can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're actually loving, which is related to good, as we've been saying, yeah, right. all these other things are going to be happening. Right. And so I feel like uh, just another way to say what you said is a lot of times as Christians, we value the intellectual pursuit of knowing what righteousness is. Without like, the heart and the benefit. Yeah. Out. And so we're just like, oh, yeah, I, I know what that is. I've memorized that verse. Yeah. I, I will love the orphans and widows. Uh, okay. Well, what are you doing? Are you actually doing anything to benefit them? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but it's important to God and he and he likes that. Right. Okay. Well, what are you doing? And passing laws that contradict <laughs> helping the poor. That's my little political <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. Um, anyways, so given all of that and, and these ideas of, of, of good, we can now move into what are the primary sources? And it seems there's three primary sources to receiving and then also creating more good. Number one, first and foremost, and this is kind of a bead you have, by the way, these three categories from the from the uh, season one, the lenses. But anyways, the first main category is your pursuit of God. The more that you're pursuing him the more good you're going to receive, the more good you're going to achieve and, and produce. And so some specific examples, and this is this is a lot of repeat from all the points that we were just making. We just want to highlight it again and kind of put it into a nice, neat categorization. So in the pursuit of God, that's going to include seeking him and fearing the Lord. And we're going to get into what fearing the Lord means in the, in the fear study, um, believing in his son, pursuing righteousness. Mm-hmm. And then spiritually, we're going to trust in him, take refuge in him, humbly walk in step with the spirit being faithful and obeying his commands, such as integrity, honesty, and purity, fleeing from sin and unmixed and evil. And then also emotionally, we really just want to be worshiping and honoring and praising God, embracing joy and giving thanks. Intellectually, we want to be gaining knowledge and insight, understanding, wisdom, discretion, counsel. We want to make diligent plans. And there's the physical, receiving discipline and training, being humbled and tested and pursuing godliness. Um, And note that while the avoidance of calamity and freedom from enemies is good, so also is the patient enduring of evil and afflictions, and the idea of bearing the yoke and waiting silently. And that goes to flight, fight, persevere, that fleeing the evil can be beneficial, um, fighting yeah. the evil can be beneficial, and also persevering and enduring through the evil can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also uh, our pursuit of God and really just our eventual dwelling with him for eternity can really that's uh, the final full source beneficial thing yeah the end is definitely better in the beginning so that's the primary source the pursuit of god that's kind of the b the do part is more socially and and environmentally and communally uh, with those around us in relationships Um, it's our pursuit of each other and unity and companionship with one heart for the sake of the kingdom now this includes and we discussed this already it includes our enemies it includes those who persecute and hate us that we're supposed to overcome evil with good Um, It includes making sacrifices for other. Um, Probably the biggest is laying down your life if needed, being generous and sharing of resources like leaving an inheritance for your children. Another source is just being kind, serving others, helping, uh, providing for others, meeting their needs. And this also can be seen in just healing and restoration. Our pursuit of each other with unity and companionship also includes the justice that we talked about, the equity of making of things right, causing no one to stumble. So with one another, we want to be slow to anger, forgiving and pardoning of wrongdoers, showing mercy um, before we rebuke, reprove the wicked, ruthlessness. 
uh, yeah, so that the idea there is is there's there is a reproving or rebuking of wickedness, but we have to forgive them first. Mm-hmm. So I'm a strong believer in you really can't correct somebody until you've already forgiven them. Yeah. And the idea is, well, if I've already forgiven them, I don't need to correct them. That's not true. And we'll have to break all. We're going to do a whole unpacking on forgiveness or mercy, and we're going to do a whole unpacking on biblical correction, and, and that will all come out. Yeah. And then also just keeping the tongue from evil so that we can share certain news, so we can share the gospel, uh, the word, our faith, prophecy, encouragement. And this really goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, being just saying the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. And so being mm-hmm. aware of what's going on. Mm, yes. And so you're not uh, just going in with random Bible verses to um, try and help people when really that's not going to help the most is just presence. And another way to produce good um, in this community is praying and supplication for each other. Mm-hmm. And then the third category, the third source, more the have of good are earthly goods, kind of the icing on the cake or the spices of life uh, that I talk about. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, the Bible talks about family, you know, mm-hmm. as a source of good. Yeah, and there's sun and light, land, food. Honey, wine, homes. I think we can all agree those are pretty awesome things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so just so you know, wine and beer are mentioned as good <laughs> things in the Bible. Drunkenness, no. But right. wine and beer, yes. Uh, and then also just having honest labor and having something to do. Yeah. I think that's from Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all, all those things we just said were like phrases that we were taking from the, from the Scripture references. Uh, and then inversely, what are some hindrances to good? We, we found at least four that the Bible would say. One hindrance to good that's going to make it more difficult is, and again, it's kind of a duh, but sin and wickedness. Um, some examples the Bible gives is dishonesty or having a crooked mind. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that, it's going to be harder for you to, to receive and, and produce good. Mm-hmm. So another hindrance would be seeking our own glory. Um, and showing partiality. And quick side note on that, we'll learn this in the glory study. The Bible repeatedly says you shouldn't seek your own glory. Right. It also repeatedly says that God wants to share his glory with you. Yeah. It was a, it was a, cool, mm. it was a cool picture. Yeah, and then also uh, something that can be a hindrance to good is bad company. And so I do want to add a little uh, just discussion on this with, because um, I've heard people say, well, what you need to do is you need to just avoid unbelievers because if they're not a good influence on you, then... Uh, just completely just uh, separate yourselves from them because bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, and so just completely mm-hmm. avoid them. And I think that there is some more nuance here. If you are a new believer and, or if you're weak in your faith, uh, immature, you could be a long time areas, believer and still be weak. Right? That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, it's not. This isn't a time issue. This is really a maturity issue and where you're actually at in your spiritual walk. It the might the best thing for you might be to just avoid bad company, or or to make sure that their influence is not greater than your influence on them. Yeah, because we still as believers need to be in the world and we need to be rubbing shoulders with people that believe differently than us, and so then we can actually share the good. Like that's the point of evangelism and helping other people see what God has shown us and that whole idea. So we don't want to completely avoid people because that that just doesn't work. But we do need to be very aware and intentional with our relationships. And so we can influence others and we're aware of the influence that they have on us. So if we're immature in our faith or our muddy fields are really kind of rampaging and taking over in some points, Mm -hmm. it may be that we need to stay away from the bad company because they would trigger us. It may be that we're still supposed to be around them and love them. Just be very, very careful with that. Where if we're much more mature and strong, then absolutely we're supposed to be hanging out with bad company. Mm-hmm. because our influence on them is going to be stronger than theirs on us and we got to be that salt and light right yeah there was a guy that i knew 
he was really, really strong in his faith, really wise, really mature, really dependent upon God, so much so that he constantly hung out at these parties, hmm. like with drunkards, um, a lot of prostitutes, you know? And so he actually had a rumor, there's rumors going around that he was a drunkard and a glutton and all this kind of stuff because he went to so many parties. But he was so strong in his faith that people loved when he went there and he never got drunk or did any of those things, but it was a really strong influence. That, that guy's name was Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's follow him, mm-hmm. right? And do what he did. And it's interesting, I remember hearing about a church that they actually have a ministry and this is an example of if you're mature in your faith, you have you have the opportunity for greater influence. They actually had a ministry where they went into a strip club that was nearby, and they actually ministered to the people working there. That's great. And so they were able to go in and minister to these different individuals because they weren't struggling in that area. Mm-hmm. What I suggest for any like any guy to just say, hey, you know what? No, I'm right, gonna, right. I'm going to tell them the love of Jesus. It, probably not for most people. If it's going to trigger lust. having then, yeah. the ability, like... It just goes to show how, um, depending on where you're at with your walk with Christ, and I think that that was mostly women in that ministry, right. which makes sense. Um, but just you can have a greater influence, and so don't limit yourself to only hanging out in your Christian bubbles. Make sure that you are actually going out and showing good to others. Yeah. And then a fourth hindrance that we saw biblically, it said there's no profit or benefit in false idols, great riches, or the flesh. And so this would kind of go with the first one. But the idea here is if if you have if, uh, false idols is something's more important to you than God, right? It could be career, fame, or whatever, okay. um, or great riches, um, or the the flesh or certain things you desire, say, you know, uh, drugs or sex or whatever. Sure. Um, putting those, any of those things first is going to hinder you from actually receiving and, and accomplishing more good. So, so that is question two in a nutshell, right? We, can, we went through that really, really quickly because we highlight a lot of these points already. So then we can move into, into question three, which you were referencing a minute ago. So what are the benefits um, to good? Actually, I just noticed I need to change yeah. the outline. Um, but anyways, if, if, if I'm actually trying to embrace good, so like Kaylee, you made the point, if I'm actually trying to receive more good mm-hmm. and I'm trying to accomplish more good, what are some of the benefits? And, and, and so this, this gets back to what you were saying, Zach, a minute ago about if, if you're one of these believers um, that's kind of eking by you know, and you're not being really intentional with this because yeah. it's a lot of work, right? It requires a cost, a sacrifice. It's a lot of work, a lot of sweet and sour, right? Uh, a lot of sours to this, these good things, these beneficial. And it goes back to the definition of sweet and sour. Uh, a sour is a good beneficial thing that makes you wince, and a sweet is a good beneficial thing that makes you smile. So to expand that definition, a sour is a good beneficial thing. So it's a G2 mm-hmm. that has an element of E1. It's there displeasing. You go. And while a sweet is a good beneficial thing, G2, which is beneficial, so it's a G1. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, so a sweet is a G1, G2, and a sour is an E1, G2. Mm. Yeah, Um, which, if you're seeing on a whiteboard, makes a lot more sense, right? (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, so here are some of the benefits, and we're hoping that this will motivate you that, you know what, I do need to be more intentional about this receiving and and, and giving of good. If you're doing this emotionally, you're going to, and I look at this, I'm like, oh, I really like this. You're going to have a glad heart. You're going to find more joy. You're going to find more peace, that internal prosperity, and you're going to get those fat bones um, from, you know, from, from Proverbs. So emotionally, there's a lot of benefit there. Yeah. And then spiritually, the benefits are knowing truth, fear of the Lord, sanctification, holiness, and abiding in eternal life. 
intellectually, this also just really helps you increase in your wisdom and understanding. Yeah, if you're learning what is good, good yeah. begets good on mm-hmm. it. Um, physically, the, go back to Jeremiah 16, you'll find rest, rest mm-hmm. for your souls and rest for your body. And you're going to find rewards, um, eternal and some external prosperity. So we're not going to go on this rabbit trail, but with the prosperity gospel, if you define the prosperity gospel of God wants you rich, so name it and claim it, then we reject it. Right. If you hold to the prosperity of gospel of God wants you internally and eternally prosperous more than anything, but is also Joseph of Arimathea and Abraham okay with some external pro- uh, prosperity as well, as long as it's a tertiary thing, yeah. then that kind of prosperity gospel I have absolutely embrace. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you see this really extreme prosperity gospel of, you know, name it and claim it. God wants you to be rich and happy and all kinds of things. And we reject that. So people go to the opposite end of the spectrum and like, so, you know, they, 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 they lambast Joel Olstein. They just hate and loathe that. That's not gospel. They're not Christian. But they go to the opposite extreme Mm. and they kind of miss the whole point of scripture. That scripture does teach prosperity. It does teach mostly eternally and internally, but some externally. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's, so there's a balance there. So while while we want to, reject the extreme of some prosperity gospel, please don't go to the other extreme. Right? Yeah, because it really depends more on where your focus is. If your focus is on materialistic riches, then there's a problem there. Right. But if that's just happening as you're really doing the be and the do that we've yeah. talked about in season one with the lenses, yeah. then it's something different. Go buy some honey and wine. Sure. And homes and, yeah. Um, right. And then also physically, um, another one of the, the benefits of embracing good is suffering. This mm-hmm. is a sour, but and this gets into this, not all suffering is this way. There's different types right. of suffering, but some suffering actually is beneficial to the soul. And, and I right. can't wait till, till we do the suffering study. It'll, it'll really help parse a lot of that out. Yeah. And that, that actually makes me think of um, the suffering bringing benefit. Um, it talks about in Hebrews that it was good that Jesus suffered. Um, like God, mm. God chose to glorify him through the suffering. And so like, wow, we benefit from that a lot. I mean, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, I mean, where does that leave us, you know? Yeah. Um, so going back to the benefits of embracing good, um, there's a social aspect to it. So we're being salt and light for others. We're encouraging them to honor God, and we're gaining favor with God and men and receiving kindness in return. Yeah, so the idea here in the love study has happened a couple times now where somebody was going through, we've done a love study twice. Um, well, two full versions and some shorter versions. But anyways, multiple times people have said, dang it, you know, before this study, I would have said I'm loving. Yeah. And now that I've actually broke down all that love includes, I'm right. not saying I'm, I'm not loving at all, but I am not loving to the near degree that I could be. Right. Same holds true now for the good stu- this good study. Yeah. That if somebody said, I am a pretty good person, now going through this study, it changes that a little bit right. um, because it's so complex and everything else. And so it, it makes you think a second before you make that kind of statement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so and then and then inversely, um, what happens if you're not doing this? This will get more into the evil sin study. The idea yeah. is, is obviously if you're not pursuing good, you're not going to experience these benefits. Mm-hmm. And there's other calamity and, and detriment that can come. And, and we'll see this more when we go through the, the evil sin study. Mm-hmm. So did you guys have any other comments as far as uh, you mentioned this already, too? But just just encouraging you guys, the listener, as, as you better up your mind around what this good is this, before we get in the application question. Um, there's just a lot of benefits that come from this. And it's, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it's really, really good. <laughs> it's really good to pursue good. Yeah, because I think that one of the main detriments is something that we were talking about earlier, where if you're not, if you don't keep going, you're going to fall back. And that's something that I've just personally experienced, that when you stop pursuing mm. good and you stop 
actively pursuing good. You can you can coast for maybe a little while and not fall back too far. Um, but if if you don't continuously pursue it, then you're not going to keep experiencing all these benefits and you will start falling backwards. And, and so the just, coals on you and, and the bowl on your head will go cold. Yeah. yeah. And so just that whole idea of this, this is difficult to actually do practically, like consistently day to day. It's hard to put others before yourself and to do beneficial things for others and just everything that good entails, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a big deal to actually be pursuing it and learning more about what it looks like and figuring out how to do it for the people around you. Like, how do right. you um, how do you show goodness to your mom, to your parents, to uh, your kids, coworkers, right. people around like just and that'll get an application question. But yeah. yeah. And yeah. so just really beginning to figure that out, I think, is just powerful as we continue to move forward. And know that if you are in one of those seasons where you've coasted for too long, you've kind of grown cold and you're not being as beneficial or pursuing as much good, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It doesn't mean you yeah. can't come yeah. back from it. You just got to work extra harder to kind of climb, climb out of that pit, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that leads into the fourth and final question, which is the application question. Given all of this, what's your big takeaway or how has this study affected you? And then what kind of application do you want to commit to, you know, from this point on? So we did this study a little over a year ago for ourselves. And so for me personally, the how it affected me or, or my biggest takeaway, the biggest one for me at the time, now it's kind of a given, but was that huge overlap between good and love? Like I just hadn't put those two together until the study. Um, and so seeing how, how those overlap and seeing how God's commands must be beneficial and, and the prohibitions are because they're detrimental. That was also a big aha moment for me. And so I, I know that I, and, and then uh, this is a point that you made, Kaylee, as far as there's that, we all have that recognition of what good is and desire, but there's an internal battle of actually achieving it. Yeah. Um, that I need to be much more intentionally conscious of that battle between good and evil within me. Yeah. Uh, and truly receiving and giving more good in my life. So knowing that ooh, I, I need to be careful of those detrimental things that are really pleasing. That's, uh, you know, even as I say this, this is, this is hitting me where I'm at in my life right now. Um, I put more value on the pleasing than I do the beneficial sometimes, mm-hmm. or more specifically, I think I put more value on the, the displeasing than the detrimental, i.e., like I would rather do something detrimental than experience some sort of displeasure. Yeah. And and I, and I need to regroup all that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so that because there's certain things in my life right now that I'm going through that are not pleasing, but I know that have been. Oh, this is kicking me right now. Yeah. That are not they're beneficial to me, but they're not pleasing. Yeah. And so I'm not doing it. Right. And I need to get back to that. The, the remind myself the uh, the beneficials is of more value and more weight than than the pleasing is. Yeah. Um, so specifically, um, I know that, and this was funny because I wrote this a little over a year ago, but this is still true now. Worshiping God more, or the phrase that I would say now is getting back more in that cave of prayer yeah. and just sitting with Him in, in prayer. Uh, and we'll go through the whole prayer study, explain all that. But spending more time with that is is really going to help me. Um, forgiving before I rebuke or correct. Uh, praying in supplication more. I, I haven't done a lot of that. Uh, and enjoying the fruits of my labor, I still kind of beat myself up and I'm not doing enough, you know, et cetera. So knowing of spending more time with him, um, being more forgiving and and being more enjoying of the, of the fruit of my labor, those are all are three specific things that can really help me uh, in receiving and achieving more good. So that's mine. Yeah. What about you, Kaylee? Yeah. Um, I think 
Yeah, so we did this study about, well, I guess a little over a year ago now. Yeah, Um, yeah, and I think I was in a different season of life than I am in now. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, because, you know, we're growing and we're moving forward. We're maturing. Uh, I would say that's true of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I but I think in that um, in that season and even now, just as we're going back through this and I'm just remembering like, oh, this is this is my thought when we were going through this. Or I remember us talking about that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was um, just going back to that advantageous thing, um, mm. that that definition and like letting the advantageous when I say that God is good, letting that define my good. Um, so again, I just want to repeat it again, um, involve, involving or creating favorable circumstances that increase the chance of success or effectiveness. And um, I think, yeah, when I go through these studies, I try to like look back. Um, you know, the summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so for me, this looks like I want to love a God who is involving and being cre- be creating favorable circumstances for me, who like genuinely cares about me. That's the kind of God that I want to serve. And society has told me something different. Our, cu- our culture has told me mm. something different about God. But when we look through scripture and we let um, our true identity, our true um, where we where we should reside, we are our true loyalty is to um, the king to King Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so just letting that really resonate in your soul. I think that was the biggest thing that I'd learned. And even just going through this now, I think that's such a big thing that I have learned since we've taken this study. Um, but also I am I am still learning. Um, and it's been cool. One of the things that I have moved into since being in this study was um, I'm starting to study to be a nurse. Yeah. Um, and so like going through AMP one or anatomy, physiology and uh, one and two and just learning how the body works. Just mm. as we were talking like this, um, kind of like this picture of, um, yeah, it's really cool, actually, to look at the body and see like wow, like our bodies reflect God or they reflect biblical principles or, yep. you know, that yep. the beauty. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about, we were talking about how like sometimes it's painful, but it's also good for us. Um, so like we we cut ourselves, right? And um, there's this lots of layers in our skin, um, but specifically like on our hands um, and our feet, we have like this layer and then there's this basement membrane um, and that basement membrane, for the most part, stays intact. Um, and so if we cut ourselves, that basement membrane may or may not be cut, um, but it begins to open up and inflate. And it's what we call um, inflammation. And like inflammation is really, really painful. And it seems backwards, right? Because we need to keep our blood in. Our blood is like, you know, life. Um, but the, that basement membrane is actually... Um, inflating and opening and perforating so that blood can come out because there's helpful things in blood to close up that wound. Mm. So like that's really, really hurtful. Like inflammation really sucks and like you get that heartbeat feeling in Mm -hmm. your finger. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's needed and it's necessary. And so I I just like to think of those kinds of things so that like as you're like you talk about applying the details of scripture to the details of life. I think we see people bleed on a pretty regular basis, whether it's our kid who got cut or we're chopping something in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and we chop our finger or whatever it may be. Um, And so just like thinking of those things, like whenever you bleed, let it be a reminder of what good means. 
right. guess, the beneficials of good. Yeah. And if you think about the picture you painted, I want to sit at a God's feet who's trying to create some sort of advantageous, favorable yeah. situation for me that yeah. could include sours and suffering and, right. and displeasure at times, but overall is advantageous. Is I'm, that's the kind of God that I want to serve and trust in, and it's yeah. hard, but I want to trust in him. And as I'm doing that, then, then I'm going to be able to, in turn, create more advantageous, favorable situations for other people, my family, my friends, my right. neighbors, even my enemies. Right. You put that definition with love your enemies, and again, it changes the name of the game a bit. Right. Um, we actually start spreading the kingdom. Right. And, and doing what God's called us to do. That's, that's, that's a cool picture. Yeah. All right, Zach, what about you? Yeah, I think a couple things that really just stick out to me in this study is, one, uh, just that with goodness, there's the just the whole idea of sour that we were talking about and we've talked about in season one, uh, that it's not always going to be pleasing, Mm -hmm. that it's beneficial, but it's not always pleasing. And so recognizing that and being willing to work through, especially when we're like loving our enemies and different things like that, recognizing that it might not always be pleasing, but it is always going to be better Mm -hmm. because it's actually going to provide beneficial things. And then also just the whole idea that I was talking about earlier, just that this has to be active. Because I feel like a lot of times I'm willing to say, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not doing bad things. And so by not doing bad things, mm. I'm being good. And so Realizing I, I too often am willing to ex- and not even excuse my behavior, but just be content with not doing bad and then calling that good. Because it, it, there's an absence of bad, so that means it's good. Well, no. Right. Actually that active component of moving past, um, first moving past doing bad, um, so not not doing bad, but moving past that to actively pursuing good and doing good to others and figuring out how to do good to the people around me in a meaningful way. Because it, like, if I were to actually personalize this uh, to the extent that I should, I, I just feel like it would impact my relationships just so much because it's it's not something that happens frequently mm-hmm. like you you don't just go through or I, I mean I don't go through life just like how am I going to be good to you today mm-hmm. like how am I actually mm-hmm. going to actively do something beneficial mm-hmm. that's just not my mindset uh, and so shifting from in shifting from saying well I'm not going to do anything bad to I'm actually going to do good mm-hmm. is something that I think I'm that's great really going to try and work on yeah, you know, righteousness, Paul, there's two There's two, de- two meanings that he has to it. One is a right standing with God. That's kind of that justified zero balance. And then the other is, is actually being in right behavior, mm-hmm. which is doing the good. And that goes back to that three stages from Romans 5. Yeah. So it's not about being, don't be righteous, be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a cool thing. So, so that then turns to you, the listener. What's your takeaway from the study? Was it that four-part definition or some of the other complexities? Was it how it works or plays out? Was it what does it result in? Think through this and think through what are the one or two or three takeaways. So if you were explaining to somebody, I just listened to this episode two hours, two and a half hours on good, um, and they say, what was, what was the main point? Um, what would you say to them, right? So what was the big takeaway for you? And then is there an application there with that? Is there some change you need to make in your life, some, some practical commitment, whether it's 
an internal kind of perspective or it's an action, an active one, right? It could be different different types. Um, is there some is there some change that you want to make uh, as, as as you walk through this? And 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 so I would say you know take some time to go back and listen to this again, meditate on it, think through it, and figure out what's my takeaway, what's my application, and then act on it. Yeah. Uh, and let this you know we we want transformation transformation on information mm-hmm. as my pastor Andrew always says, and. Uh, um, we hope that this will transform you in some way. Yeah, and as you're working through what it actually looks like to be transformed instead of just getting informed, uh, feel free to email us, info at rekindlingministries.com. Visit the website, see if there's any other resources at rekindlingministries.org because we really do want to help you guys move past, like you just said, from information to transformation. Mm -hmm. And so then you can actually apply this to your life and see it really impact those around you. So that's all we have for this week, and we will see you guys next time when we talk about evil and sin. Yeah, thanks. Have a good night.